welcome everybody into the first ever episode of the main rundown. I'm Zach Tarenko alongside my co-host Jeff Christianberry. And I'm super excited here for the first episode. Going to be a really fun podcast. Before we really get into anything, just want to talk about what we're doing here, why we are on your screens, or if you're listening to us on any of the uh, podcasting platforms. So Jeff and I, uh, long time, uh, I would say he's my longtime mentoring. It's the best best word for it when I was in high Does school. Does it sound nice? At Thornton Academy uh, in Saco, Maine. And then obviously just a great friend of mine. And uh, we wanted to have a podcast, but we didn't really have a an idea. And then we started to cultivate this this almost idea of um, talking about main sports, but not really just, you know, recapping like, oh, this team won their high school basketball game. It's more going deep into some topics, but also having some really great guests on to help us uh, just kind of talk a lot about main sports, really get into, you know, what it's all about and what you might be missing uh, in, in Maine. So that's really what we're going to be doing here. Obviously, as I said, each week going to have a guest on. Hopefully somebody that is really big in the sports media industry and, you know, who has who's been in sports and knows a lot about sports. This week, our guest is great, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but, yeah, we're really excited. Hopefully getting a episode out uh, once a week. And, again, the first ever one is right now. Uh, at the moment, Jeff and I are in two different locations. I'm at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut where I, I attend school, and Jeff's in Saco, Maine. Uh, with his very nice camera, as as we can <laughs> as we see here, college uh, versus pros. That's to say, it's yeah, how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just about. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll start and, and get right into it uh, for the first episode. So the first thing that I want to talk about, I'm assuming this is where you're at because we're at that time of year. Uh, late February, we get into high school basketball. I didn't really get to experience it this much or at the, a lot this year because, again, I was at college and just kind of watching through Twitter and, and looking at the recaps I could see. But I, I guess I first want to ask you, just just you know, seeing the, some of the tournament this year and, and what's happened so far, obviously the state finals haven't happened yet, but uh, w- what have you seen from the tournament uh, from, from these players and the teams? Yeah, well, first off, you know, I work here at Thornton Academy in Saco, Maine. Um, now, while we will st- I'm certainly talk a little bit about Thornton Academy, this will be kind of a, a general main sports one, but we will have yeah. a little bit of slant or TA just because of our knowledge. So for me, it's been different this year because both of our teams, uh, our boys basketball and girls basketball team, you know, we're routinely making deep runs in the playoffs. This didn't happen this year. You know, our girls lost in the quarterfinal round uh, at Sanford and the boys lost uh, in the, se- the regional semifinal against Scarborough. So I only saw one game, but I've been watching a lot of it on on the live stream, obviously. I mean, the tournament this year has been pretty wide open, I would say. You know, you look at, I mean, there's been some favorites, obviously, but this year in general, you know, we, we were so, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later too, we were so blessed and spoiled for a couple of years when we had some, you know, not just great players, but all-time great players for the state of Maine that had unparalleled excitement um, in terms of, you know, social media in terms of, you know, live streaming, everything. Um, one of the positives that's come out of COVID is the, some of the coverage and you can watch pretty much every game that you want to. Um, there are some negatives to that. Um, there are some streaming services that are way better than others, of course. Um, some that are pay, some that are free. I mean, pretty much every regular season game now, even you can see via YouTube or uh, NFHS or, or one other, uh, some other systems. So for the tournament itself, um, you know, it's 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 always a spectacle. Um, one of my you know three rundown uh, segments today is going to be about the venue, so I'm going to not spoil it for that. I think it's been a very solid tournament. If you look at, um, I'm going to talk about some of the teams that are in states or some familiar faces and some brand new faces, which are really cool. For my gathering, I mean, if we're being totally honest, and we'll try to be as honest as we can here, 
not the most exciting tournament that we've ever seen. If you just look at, um, I'm not talking about the stories about like, you know, uh, you know, we'll talk about Wyndham going to the state championship for the first time ever exciting, but the actual games themselves, um, which is ironic because this was the first year they actually had at some of the venues, a, a, um, you know, a, um, a replay, a replay official yeah. to look at buzzer beaters just in case we had any, like we did last year, a lot of exciting games last year, this year, not so much. I mean, there were, there were definitely some close games, but very few overtime games, or I don't think there's any real buzzer beaters. Um, so it's just, you know, it's, it's not about the quality of the basketball it just happened to be, I think a lot of teams that were really kind of the upper echelon and not. So for me, um, is it a memorable tournament? No, not just not for Thornton Academy, not really doing so well in the boys or the girls, but just not many signature moments. Maybe we could see some this this weekend uh, and also not having any of those signature players, not just guys like Cooper Flagg and J.P. Estrella, which we'll talk about, too. But some of the other, you know, if you talk about who's Mr. Main basketball is Miss Main basketball. Um, there's nobody really going to these high end schools this year. So um, but the tournament's always great. It's a great way to spend your vacation week going to the to the expo or the CIA or Augusta or Bangor. But um, but yeah, it's from it's been it's been a fine tournament. I'm really hoping for some great games to watch on my couch this uh, this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not not the most memorable tournament, but again, I wasn't there. I I did miss it a lot uh, seeing the coverage and and uh, you know seeing obviously people that we knew, you know, Cole Purvis and and some of the other people who uh, you know covering the, the the tournament, which was great. Um, but I agree. You know, I was expecting more. I, I really felt like the. You know, when I was back for break, I watched a lot of games, including TA games. And I just felt like it was a, the playing field was a lot more level. I feel like the last couple of years has been, you know, three or four top teams and you got your bottom. And so the first the first couple of rounds, the first, you know, not really until the state championship, do you get good games. And it just I felt like it was going to be a lot better and, and, and not really um, at that point. But you did mention something that I wanted to bring up, which was that the, the media coverage. I really feel like I took a step up. I feel like they covered games very well they covered more games it really felt like there was a lot more media attention on the tournament and you know in the state of maine we don't have cooper flax no longer in maine so we didn't have like one player that was getting all the attention which i honestly think is great it's it was kind of spread out um but like i was seeing a lot of stuff on like class a class b class c teams things that we haven't seen in in a while whereas in, you know in the past it's been all class double a but um it's been really good to see. Like I've almost felt like I was, I was there, all the coverage that I was seeing here, you know, in Connecticut, just in the tournament. So, you know, obviously you, you said you've watched games, you've seen that stuff. So like, just, just, you know, give me a little bit uh, of, of what you've seen from the coverage, not only from, you know, like news stations, but also just like, you know, like basic, like writing and, and broadcasting and just like live, like people live tweeting games. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're always going to have you know guys like Travis Lee and Dave Ede, who I think hopefully we'll have both of them on here in the podcast in the future. They're mm -hmm. going to do great coverage uh, of everything for channels um, eight and thirteen. Um, Michael Hoffer from the Forecaster, who we're, who we're going to have on later today, plus mm -hmm. all the other sports writers uh, up and down Maine. Uh, but yeah, I think the big difference is now you don't even have to watch the game sometimes. You can really get a feel for it. You look at like main basketball rankings, guys like that, um, guys like Cole who are going to a lot of games, yeah. people who are live tweeting the games, giving some opinions and using video as well, which I think, you know, as we talk about X, you know, that's really kind of been a game changer. You have big time hoops main. Um, you guys you have like Levinsky, you have Thomas Curtis, all these guys who are either students, younger guys, even some middle-aged guys like me, um, you know, going above and beyond and not just, you know, watching the games, but also giving their opinion. And for me, that's what's made this tournament, uh, you know, definitely taking the level up because it maybe has not been the most exciting tournament in terms of the actual gameplay, but you're seeing 
kind of revolution in, in these in these using these platforms. I think using X and Instagram are the two ones that you're going to see the most mm-hmm. um, for these kind of uh, I don't say amateur, but you know people who aren't working maybe for publications but working for themselves. Um, you see Refan, uh, Refan, uh, he talks a lot about the officials. So you really get it from all angles. Let's just say big, that big, big um, this tournament. It is, yeah. So I think you know, it, it, I think the word revolution is great. And I hope it continues. There's something special about basketball that brings everyone together, and the fact that these tournament games all happen at the three or four places around the state uh, allows uh, us to kind of have this hub where you're not just going to a football game, which is great, but you're kind of traveling a- around the state trying to do that. So hats off to everybody who who put in, who grinded. And, uh, you know, we'll mention Cole again. Uh, he's a senior here at Thorne Academy, did a ton of games for WHOU, mm-hmm. who I think does an amazing job. Yes, it's only it's $10 a month, but you get so much quality out of that. So hats off to all of them who did who did uh, the live streaming itself. Um, and then this this um, this weekend coming up, we'll have uh, main public, um, you know, PBS, basically. And I want to mm-hmm. mention that, too, because that's one big when I was a kid. Um, you know, PBS basically had all the rights to all the games on TV. And so you'd be able to, especially during vacation week, I would sit there. You could sit there from not 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning until 10 at night watching, you know, coverage from mostly Augusta and Bangor, sometimes down in the Portland area. This is before they used the Expo. I loved that. Now, the live streaming's great, um, but PBS is free. They had games all yeah. the time. Now, PBS had to pull back their coverage a lot because it's ridiculously um, expensive to do these games. So now they just do the state games, which is great. Um, but that's one thing I miss. You know, the fact that you have to, you know, if you want to watch all the games, you have to have PBS. You have to have a subscription to WHOU and a subscription to NFHS, um, which, you know, different different qualities, different uh, different plans. So that's the only negative I had. But otherwise, you know, the, the, there's the, even if we have complaints about not having the most exciting games, there's no complaints about the media coverage, whether it's print, whether it's online or whether it's uh, just straight on on the news. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I got to go back to your point. It's like you said that the $10 is def- for WHOU is, is worth it for the whole tournament. I will say, though, as a college student, I like there's a couple of games I really want to watch. And then I saw I was like, oh, pay. And I was like, eh, I don't <laughs> know about that. I might, I might have to say the dollars. But, uh, you know, we're obviously going to talk more about this tournament probably throughout the entire episode. We've got it in, in our segments. We're going to talk to Michael Hoffer about it. But just really quick, you know, we talked about Thornton Academy upsetting South Portland in that first round. Um, the boys team did. The girls team didn't get very far. You know, you and I have – you've been at TA a lot longer than I have. But even when I was there, it really felt like we were always one of the top teams. And, and I just – this year was just disappoint, like, disappointing in general. I mean, for, even from what I saw over break, I, I just I, – I, I want to get your thoughts on, on how they played and, and almost like – you know, how, you know, how did it feel after, you know, we're, we're heading into this tournament week where usually we're thinking, oh, TA is going to have two, three games at the Cross Insurance Arena or at the Expo or whatever. And it's just like this year is like there's one and they didn't even play very good. Yeah, I mean, look, first, each team had a new coach this year, which is which is always a hard transition. You know, two very different teams. The boys, they lose Will Davis, uh, Davies, who was a fantastic player, Mr. Mm-hmm. Basketball. So, um, you know, you watch them. I don't think their record indicated how – how they were. I think they were much better than the record was. You saw that against South Portland when they put it all together. The problem is when you don't have that superstar player who can step up and look, why Benoit is a great player and, and we'll come back next year. And, and I think TA boys will be excellent next year. Yeah. Um, you just need that second and third player to step up. And they just, they didn't have a consistent guy to do that. They would have one great game from one guy and then one great, great game for the other too many turnovers, too many, you know, uh, mistakes that you see a lot of other teams make that we're just not used to them seeing. Um, for the boys, you know, they'll be back next year. For the girls, a lot of it came down to injuries. You know, they had a new coach as well. They had a, really a big three coming into the year. 
Um, but Kylie Lampson, you know, she hurt herself, uh, lower body injury. So she was out for most of the rest of the season, the second half of the season, did play in the playoff game against Sanford, but you can't expect her to be 100% after missing yeah. so much time. And then Addison Sulikowski was out with an illness as well for the end of the year and the playoff game. So uh, tough, you know, they had Emil Zott come in here, who's a fantastic player. You know, our teammates are at Chevis are undefeated, looking to win another state championship uh, like they did two years ago. Um, but, yeah, look, they'll be back. There's, there's no question. You know, we're understanding, you know, we, we don't have a, a ton of success in basketball in terms of winning state championships. Um, but I think they'll both be competitive next year, um, especially the boys, because they have a lot coming back. Yeah, I, I also thought Nelson, Mike, Coach Mike Nelson, had a great year, too. You know, I I, I was reading a lot and, and trying to, you know, focus in on, you know, how they've lost a ton of games in a row and they go out to Southport and they win that playoff game. Like the mentality change is just like, I really thought great, great would end your season. I mean, obviously they go to the cross cross insurance arena they lose to Scarborough on some, some great Scarborough shooting, but um, you know, it, it, I, I, you're right. I agree. I think it's, they got a, they got a great team and next year they got a lot of, a lot of guys who are not graduating, which is great. Um, so they'll be great, but um, yeah, it's just, it's a big, it's a big change. You know, I, I came back over break and I was like, I honestly was not expecting to see them lose games. And, and I went to a couple and it just didn't feel like the old TA where, you know, you'd go to games and they'd be winning by 20 or 30, you know, and, and just, they'd be top seed every year. Can't be, can't be the top seed every year. Gotta have yeah, a rebuilding year sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, right now we're going to head into our first segment of the show. We're calling this the rundown each week. Jeff and I are going to give our three biggest topics or stories that we want to talk about. We'll uh, go one off each and just talk about whatever. Mostly it's going to be about main sports. But uh, Jeff, why don't you start us off with your first topic and we'll, uh, we'll get into this one. Yeah, my first, of course, has to be the state championships coming up here in, in boys and girls basketball. We're going to just talk about double A because that really kind of affects the Southern Maine uh, segment here, maybe a little bit more. So on the girls, you have Gorham against Chevers. Chevers coming at 20-0, Gorham at 18-3. and um, You know, Chevers won the title, their first ever back in 2022. Um, they obviously are led by Maddie Fitzpatrick. Uh, she has a lot of good plaudits for good reason. Um, but really, it's her defense. If you look at their stats, their defense is unbelievable. And they beat Thornton mm -hmm. Academy twice. I saw them here. Uh, in person, they've only allowed uh, opponents to score more than 50 points twice in their 20 games. Their last five games, including playoff games, allowed 29, 34, 23, 35, and 38. So not allowing anyone to score yeah. above 38 points, including two playoff games, is impressive. For Gorham, I mean, service is certainly the favorite. Gorham could definitely can definitely be there. They have the pedigree in the last 10 years with Mackenzie mm -hmm. Holmes and Malia Esposito as well. They've won a lot of championships, and Lon Berthium, their coach, is just fantastic. Um, they also have a stout defense. If you look at their last um, their last uh, six games, 35, 38, 20, 31, 14, 34, and 37 points allowed. So, again, it's going to be maybe first one to 40 will win this game. Uh, it's a third straight regional, final for, er, third straight, uh, regional title for the Rams. Uh, they're six and eight seasons, um, and they'll, be, they'll uh, face uh, Chevers on Saturday. Um, Gorham hasn't won a state championship since 2017, um, and Chevers, of course, won in 2022. So that'll be a great game. Uh, and then looking at the boys, again, Gorham back in it again. Uh, they're going against Wyndham. Um, it's a Gorham doubleheader. So, Zach, here's the, the question for you. Let's see if you can figure it out. <laughs> When's the last time a boys and girls team from the same school won the gold ball um, in any division, let alone the top division? The problem is here is I don't want to I don't want to be too wrong. I feel like I feel like I'm gonna get the. Uh, let me go. Nineteen ninety three. Not even close. It was twenty eighteen. Wow. Um, oh my gosh. Edward All Edward right. Little. 
Edward Little uh, won boys, both boys and girls back ah. uh, just six years ago. Yeah. So, but there's a chance that it could happen twice this year. Um, so again, you have Gorham in there. Um, they 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 were dominant. Gorham was in the old Class B before they kind of restructured. This is their first mm-hmm. state championship appearance in Class AA. Um, they did meet in the regular season. Gorham beating Winden by 27 uh, back on January 15th. So not that long ago, about a month ago. Yeah. Um, so for me, looking at Wyndham, they have more experience in close games. They played a lot of close games. Uh, it's their first ever trip to the state championship, so it's going to be very special. The crowd's going to be frothing in the mouth there in Portland. Um, they are a lower-scoring team, so they're going to want to keep that game low. They want to keep it in the 40s or 50s. You know, So just kind of looking at these two games, look, certainly I would say Chevis is the favorite in the girls and Gorham in the boys. Um, I've seen Chevis twice. Billy Goodman's their coach. He's fantastic. They're so disciplined. You know, they have, again, they have Maddie Fitzpatrick, fantastic player. We saw her score her thousand point here at Thornton Academy this year. Mm, yeah. um, so they're, they're certainly the favorites, but Gorham, again, Gorham's going to have a plan for them. It's just a matter of who executes. Both of them had a fairly easy run uh, through their region. So it's, they didn't really have many scares, at least in the second half. Um, and then on the boys' side, look, Wyndham's hat is a great story. It's just Gorham seems, you know, they have. They're, they, they're probably the heavy favorites on it just because Wyndham's never been there. They are playing mm-hmm. close games, but they're also playing teams that are a little bit beneath them, a little bit uh, closer. Um, so if I had to take my pick, I would say, you know, Chevris and Gorham pretty comfortably this weekend. Um, what are your thoughts on those two games? Uh, yeah, I mean, Chevris, obviously, that, that was my point. You know, again, I'm working on previous knowledge here. I saw a couple of games from a couple of these teams um, this this year when I was when I was back home in December, but uh Billy Goodman, like that, he's a difference maker in a, in a tournament game, especially a state championship game. And I just, I, I, I don't think that the the Gorham girls team really has that extra little little bit. And that extra little bit is Maddie Fitzpatrick, like that. She's just an incredible player. And so I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not too worried about Shevers winning that. I think the Hindu got the state championship pretty much in the back at this point. But for the boys' side, I actually have no clue. I've seen both teams play this year, and the one thing I like about it is that it's not a one player, you know, leads his team. Like Gorham's got, you know, Kane Smith, Gabe Mishu, Ashlyn LeClerc, Wyndham has Tyree James. Uh, they got some other great players too. Um, can't even remember their names off the top of my head. Honestly, the only reason I know some of these Gorham players is because I worked with them in the summer, <laughs> um, and I and I got I got to learn a little about the team, but. Um, they got a really deep roster, and I think both both of them feel like they're going into a state game a little bit, not unprepared, but like into a new environment. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, I don't – this is the one thing I could say for sure is I do not think that 27-point performance in the regular season is going to be any indication of what the state game is going to no, be like. Teams, teams have played 10 games probably since yeah. then. They're not too much mm-hmm. different. The only other one I want to mention, we're going to watch in more of the games and more in depth with Michael Hoffer later. Um, Oceanside. So the boys and the girls are both in the state championship in Class B. Um, the girls take on Old Town. The boys take on, take on Orno. Both teams are combined 40-0 and 0 this year. Um, so my two questions for you are, uh, how do you think, you know, we saw this year in, in Class A football, or, or class, or I should say, Maine High School football, Levitt, you know, winning the state championship in C. They beat Thornton Academy, who won the Class A state championship. And a lot of people said Levitt was the best team in the state of Maine. Totally fair argument this year. Um, what do you think? How do you think Oceanside? You know, I've seen a few, I saw a couple of their games on live stream. I haven't seen them in person. Uh, how do you think both of those teams would, would you know, do in Class AA maybe this year specifically? Yeah, yeah. So I got the I had the privilege of seeing the the Galley brothers uh, last year, and it was incredible. And also Bailey Breen, who was on the Oceanside uh, girls team. Um, I I think the Galley brothers are a special situation here of like two players that if they were in 
you know, the Saco, Gorham, Portland, wherever in class AA, they, they'd be lighting it up. Um, and unfortunately, they're at a school that just, you know, po- population wise, the school's numbers are, are staying in the class C or class. Is it class C? It is they're in class yeah. B or class B yeah. for, but, for basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the Galley Bros would do just fine in class AA. And I honestly think it, it's unfortunate that they are in class B. Uh, but ba- I think Bailey Breen's a great player. But I, I, I just don't know. I think individually she'd be great on any of these teams. But, but you know, back to like your original question was how would these Oceanside teams do? I don't think they'd – I think they'd be middle of the pack, bottom of the pack maybe. I just I, – you know, you're looking at individual talents. You know, the Galley Birds are throwing up like 30 points a game. And these, these two kids, these two brothers have played together for so long. They like – they know where each other are on the floor at all times. And that's just something crazy. That's why they're so good. And Breen also, you know, great paint player, knows how to shoot the ball, know, and has learned, you know, playing with players that may not be at, at her same level, how to take over a game. So individually, I think they'd, they'd be great in Class AA or even Class A, but I don't know how those teams would do. And I think you, you mentioned Levitt. It's, it's one of those things like, you know, if they were in Class AA, they might, but they're not. So... We really don't know. Like, I obviously, I love to. I love to see Oceanside play like a Wyndham or a Gorm and just get a good, good feel of how they'd right. be for for boys or girls. But we, we'll never, we'll honestly, never know. We could always compare them. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just it's one of those like what if situations that you just you're never gonna you're gonna have to just like figure out on your own. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good fodder. And congratulations. Yeah. We'll see what they do. There was a little controversy early in the year with Oceanside boys and scoring a lot of points. It's kind of water under the bridge now. If they win, if they win, great. They haven't been scoring that many points in, in mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the playoffs here. So I, I don't think they're going to care. One of those things. I mean, look, Thornton Academy football has been, you know, they uh, in the past few years we scored a lot of points on some teams and people get mad. But when you win states, no one really cares. So I say, yeah. do what you got to do, win the state championship. And again, if those two teams can both win states and, and be a combined forty-two and zero, I would put that up against any other performance for a school, any basketball uh, season ever. I mean, I'd love yeah. to hear from other people about what what uh, two teams were that dominant uh, for both boys and girls in the same year. Yeah, that, that's the best point right there. You know, like obviously this controversy with scoring too many points and, and making it unfair. But let's let's really be honest. Like that game didn't have an impact on standings. It right. didn't really have an impact on how that the Oceanside team is doing or the team that they played. You know, it was like the top of Class B versus bottom of Class B. Like. It, in, in general, I don't think that they should ever be penalized for something like that. But on top of it, you know, it, it has probably zero impact on the overall season um, and where they are right now. So I just don't, like you said, it's it's water under the bridge. It's not something that any, I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, you know, this this team is, you know, put up, you know, school one by 80 and oh, uh, like no one's going to say that. They're going to say, wow, look, look at the Galley brothers who right. just won and, and you know, won a, a Class B state championship. Like that's that's going to be the story. Yeah, well, hope hope some good games this weekend. We'll, we'll catch yeah. oh, by, the, by the time people listen to this, maybe they've seen the games. But uh, well, I'll talk to Michael Hoffer a little bit later about what he thinks about these games. And I think maybe next week we may have you know Cole Purvis on to give us a little recap because he's going to see more games of basketball this year than I than most people have. <laughs> so he's yeah. been a lot of games. So yeah, his ex his ex feed was uh, very active. A lot of yes. a lot of reporting, a lot of calling games, doing a lot of production as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So shout out to him just for for a lot of great coverage. But uh, absolutely. Again, it's it's great to see how much coverage there was this year, and, and especially Definitely. being away from it, it was nice to see. Yeah. Um. So I'll go into my first topic, and I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna switch up my order a little bit here. So, um, 
uh, situation I'm in right now, you know, I, I go to school in, in uh, Connecticut, the Quinnipiac, and I would say 75 to 80 percent of the population here is from Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. Not a lot of, of like upper New England, not a lot of New Hampshire or Maine. And, um, you know, I was actually very surprised. Now, a lot of the people when, when they hear basketball in Maine, they hear Cooper Flag, And I've, a lot of people will say Cooper Flag, Cooper Flag, But there, there are a lot of people that knew about J.P. Estrella, who obviously is at the Division One level, but somebody that was a little bit more local. And um, I, I've there are a lot of people, and it's surprising, like I said, that that know of Maine basketball. So, and I and I do think that's from Cooper Flag. I mean, that's my point. My my kind of topic, and what I want to ask you about is, it's like, you know, what you know, Cooper Flag obviously from the Nicom- went to Nicomis, then went to uh, Mount Verde, and and um, you know, blew up on the scene, and, and it's he's from Maine. But like, what he's done for the outlook of Maine sports, like like the biggest connections, like Cooper Flag is from Maine. And now everyone's like, oh, there's, there's people who are going to probably be who are NBA draft picks, you know, that are from Maine. And so I, I guess the question is, is just what do you what do you think, Cooper Flag, you know, how he's changed that outlook and culture? Because, you know, I, I like I said, I was so surprised that that people have knowledge of Maine sports where I feel like five, 10 years ago, that was just not the case whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of great players over the years. I mean, I'll go back to my generation. Uh, Nick Kaner Medley was mm-hmm. a player. He played for Deering when I was uh, in high school. I think he's maybe two years older than I was. First time I ever saw a player where I said, "That's that's that guy's different." You know, they came here my sophomore year and they put up like ninety eight points. They had a fantastic team. They had three D one players on their team. He goes off to Maryland as a great career. He played in, in over in Europe for a long time. Had I'm sure made a lot of money. So so good for him. Um, that. But the problem is those have kind of been few and far between. We had Ralph Mims, who was a Brunswick player, who had a very famous um, state title game. Um, I forget what year it was. It must have been like 2005, 2006 maybe. Um, so and then there was kind of a big break before we had, you know, J.P. Estrella and, and Cooper Flagg. I think where Cooper Flagg became so different was because he was so polished uh, at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And if you looked at him physically, I, I saw him play once in person in this freshman year. Um, and he wasn't – so he wasn't physically filled out like Nick came Nick Kander medley when he was a sophomore looked like a man. Like he looked like a 25 year old, yeah. like pro athlete, mm-hmm. whereas Cooper flag didn't, but he had such a great game. And I remember, I think when I, I said, okay, this is serious is when he was playing uh, one of the playoff games in Portland and um, Brian Scalabrini came and he was mm-hmm. in the crowd watching the kid and, and had some comments about him. So that was when I was like, all right, this, this is not just the main media rightfully hyping up a kid who's, who could go D one, this is, I mean, you saw Kevin Durant last week say that he thinks Cooper Flag could be a star in the NBA for 10 to 15 years. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a lot of pressure to put on the kid. He hasn't even gone to college yet. And, he, and he obviously he's younger because he skipped, he's, he's reclassified yeah. to go to Duke next year to get in the NBA a year earlier, perhaps. Um, no, I think it's great. I think for me, I'm always curious when we have this huge bump of that year where we had Flag and Estrella, two guys who were going to go, who went D1 or going D1, how's that going to sustain? Like, all of these, you know, look at big time, big time hoops, Maine, all these other people that we mentioned before that are doing a great job of reporting on Maine high school sports. Is that going to continue um, being, in, are people going to be interested when it's a year like this, where there's really not any superstar player from, from any class. So I think the answer is yes. I think there's, you know, looking at media and, and when TV stations or newspapers decide to cut, understandably, I never understand when they cut people who are doing high school sports because high school sports are something that, Everybody wants to, to, to know about. Mm, you want to see your kid in the newspaper. You want to see highlights. There's always going to be a place where you can get better Red Sox coverage or different, I should say, different Red Sox coverage. Um, and, and name the sport, right? 
is ESPN, there's Nesson, there's whatever, there's all these media outlets. But for high school sports, there's usually only one media outlet you have a chance to look at. Um, it's local and it, it, it gives you pride. So it's great to see Maine finally put on the map for something. Now, do I expect that this will start a run of D1 players and, and NBA players? No, I think Cooper Flag, and we'll see about Estrella. He's got a long way to go if he wants to go to the NBA, but Cooper Flag is a once in a lifetime, you know, pro athlete. You know, I think mm -hmm. if, if he continues on his path, um, we're going to see something very special. So, yeah, it's too bad he's only here for a year. I totally understand why. Um, but as far as the media coverage goes, I hope that all these guys who are grinding right now are, are able to grind, not only, not only because they want to, but that people have enough interest to keep um, looking. And we're one of the ones that are doing that kind of thing right now. So people are still yearning for content um, and main high school content as the newspapers and, and TV stations contract. You know, Channel 6 doesn't even really do sports anymore, which is crazy. We'll talk about in a future episode. <laughs> but as those contract, you need other people to kind of push, push that forward. And there's always going to be a thirst for high school sports. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and, you know, like, I'll, I'll, you know, my next kind of point into this is, is that, you know, there's this, this almost like, I'm not gonna say tag, I don't think tags the right word. But, you know, how long will, you know, let's just say, let's just say, hypothetically, which I don't think this is that much of a hot take, but Cooper flag goes to Duke, spends, or excuse me, UConn, um, or is he? Is oh, he's going to Duke. He's a Duke. Duke? Baby. Oh, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. Heck sorry. yeah, UConn was his finalist too. Yeah. That's that. Okay, that's what I, was I, I don't know why I got mixed up there. Um, yeah, maybe it's because I watched a UConn game the other day. Anyways, yeah. um, uh, he goes to Duke. He goes for two years. I don't think he's going to go one year and leave. But he goes. Let's say he goes two years. He goes to the NBA. Top five draft pick. When does he lose this tag of like Cooper Flag from Maine? Like when has it just become Cooper Flag and nobody really cares about Maine? Because like I'll give examples. There are there are other players, professional players, especially in the, in the NBA that are from Maine. Duncan Robinson, a great shooter for the Miami Heat, is from York, Maine. He played high school in Maine for a couple of years and then he left and and went to a prep school. Um, you know, but when when do you think he loses that tag? Because when he loses that tag, it doesn't help doesn't help main sports doesn't help us you know gain that and and you know do you think that it has an a, 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 that is impacted by how he you know what he speaks about main because that that's also a factor in it too yeah i don't know i mean for for main sports fans it'll never change like he'll always oh, be the kid from main right so but the difference between someone like duncan robinson is like i don't even know that like he's not duncan robinson's not a guy that was ranked number one uh, didn't play for Team USA, wasn't ranked yeah. number one in his recruiting class, isn't, didn't go to Duke, isn't probably going to be a top five pick. So I think – I don't think he's – I don't know if that – someone like Kevin Durant's going to be like, wow, this kid's from Maine. Maine kids can play. Like I don't know. I just don't – I'm not ready to say that That for some reason like Maine high school athletes have been giving a raw deal over the years. Mm -hmm. I just think he's just a freak in a great yeah. way. You know, yeah. and J.P. Estrella, I mean, he's a freak. He's You don't see many 6'9", 6'10 guys or however tall he is. Um, you know, be able to play like that. So for me, I don't, I don't look at it as he's ever going to lose the luster of being a, a top main athlete. I think the fact that, you know, he'll be a local hero forever if he continues to do what he's doing, oh, uh, a statewide hero. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I go so far as to say that, you know, he's going to lose just because he went to Montverde for a couple of years. The fact that he played one year of high school basketball here was, was pretty fantastic. And he grew up in a, a very small town. It wasn't like he was in York, which is basically New Hampshire North uh, or Portland, even, which is like a big yeah. city where you grew up in, you know, a tiny little town uh, on the coast. So I think that for me, it's such a cool story. And I think, you know, if he becomes an NBA star, you'll see some stories where they come back to Maine here and do some B roll mm -hmm. of, of what it was like to play in some of these small gyms when he played that uh, one year in high school. Yeah. And, and that's that's the hope is that 
at least from his his side of it, is that he'll keep that main connection. Like Absolutely. whether or not whether or not he does that for main sports or just for himself, I hope he does that because that that's great. Like to to keep that hometown connection and, and always stay rooted like where he was from. And and like he, he seems like a great kid. Like I've never met him, yeah. but everything everybody that's ever encountered him saying he's down to earth. You know, he's and his brother's pretty darn good too. It's yeah. it's almost feel bad because if Ace wasn't hadn't have a swin brother who's going pro basically after one year, you'd be the talk of the town. Maybe not as as highly rated, but st- certainly would have been the best player in Maine for a while. Yeah, and but. that and that's its own conversation as well of like the brothers going to Mount Verde and where's Ace in this conversation and what might yeah. that look like if they both make the professional level and yeah. so, so it, this is I I I love I'm I'm excited to see where this is going to go for him and for the state of Maine and for the NBA but um, yeah you know it's it was it was pretty crazy when like I say you know I'm from Maine to some people and I all I hear is Cooper Flag and JP Estrell and I'm like. But nice. Like yeah. at least you at least you know about those guys, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Cool. So a uh, segue, I'm gonna do my second uh on the rundown. Okay, each of us will do three of them. And this is again a little bit about the basketball tournament. Not so much about on the court, but off the court. So I want to mm-hmm. talk about the venues for Maine High School basketball. It's changed a lot over the years in terms of you know, how many teams make the playoffs, um, where the first rounds are. Again, when I was in high school, I graduated in 2003, a long time ago. Um, very different. You know, you basically, there was no expo because that was before the Red Claws. Now the Celtics were there. So that was not a facility you wanted to play in. So most mm-hmm. is basically a lot of home matches, home games until you went to the Cumberland County Civic Center at the time. So right now, basically here in the Southern Maine, you have the you have the first round that's at the home venues, and then you have um, in class AA, they go right to the Civic Center. Now in the other classes, they go to the expo for a round or two. And then the Civic Center eventually for states. Then you have the Augusta Civic Center, and then you have the one up in Bangor. So for me, um, ranking them, you know, I really miss the fact that at Double A as Thornton Academy, we never played the Expo um, mm-hmm. in the playoffs. We used to. I want. I don't. I don't know the exact years. I want to say back in the twenty early twenty tens, we used to have a round of the Expo. I remember us playing Westbrook there once. The Expo is special. Now I understand why. Um, you know, it's it's not as big as as a cross insurance arena, obviously. So for a state game, you would definitely sell out. But I saw some video of Great New Gloucester playing Noble. Uh, you know, or I think everybody playing, but those two those two crowds, unbelievable atmosphere in the expo. You fill that expo, it's it's incredible. So I wish that they would have more games at at the expo, even for Double A opponents. Yeah. Um, CIA is just it's big as cavernous. I was there courtside at the TA game versus Scarborough. It was dead. Like, and that's not to say anything bad about the crowds, but like, it wasn't full. It was probably about half full, which isn't bad for. I mean, it was a, it was a vacation day, but it was late at night. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't have the atmosphere. And then I want to add on to the controversy. You know, so to buy tickets to the Cross Insurance Arena online, you got to go through Ticketmaster because that's the contract that CIA has with them. And there was some screenshots people were sending about the crazy fees. We all know about the crazy fees for Ticketmaster of for course. everything, but someone had a screenshot. It was a five dollar student ticket. And on top of that, there was a $5.25 service fee and a $5 order processing fee. So for a $5 student ticket, you're paying more than 15 bucks, okay, which is absurd. And so what was the MPA's response to that? Well, we think you should, you should try to buy it in person. So for me, that, that's kind of a red flag. Um, you know, when, you're, when people are having to, you know, you want to be able to buy online because that's way more convenient nowadays. But when you're going through these, you know, when you're choosing venues um, that, you know, are charging these absorbent fees. It's just, it's absurd. So I'm, I'm hoping that again, that they, you know, 
I would love the smaller ones. People say the state game should be at the expo. Again, I can see why you don't want them there because most of those are going to be close to sell us even at the Cross Insurance Arena. The Augusta Civic Center is amazing. They should keep that forever. It's kind of in disrepair right now in some places, but they need to fix that. And the one at Bangor as well, I've never been up there. I just want to put a quick mention in as my last point is speaking of atmosphere for hockey. Now, most of the games are the Cross Insurance Arena as well once it gets to kind of the later stages. A little bit better atmosphere there, but in the old days, back in the early 2010s when Thornton Academy was very good at hockey, they would play some of the rounds of the Lewis and Bank Coliseum. That was fantastic. Like yeah. when that place is empty, mm -hmm. not great. Those state games we played in 2011 and 2012, I mean, that was a crazy atmosphere, totally packed all the way around the barn. Um, I don't know if they play, they definitely don't play down South there anymore. I don't know what the, what the deal is there. Cause it's changed hands a lot in terms of, um, yeah. you know, what what other you know, junior teams are playing there. So that for me, I was like, Expo would be my number one place to watch, watch a game. Second would be um, the Lewis and Make Coliseum for hockey. Augusta Civic Center would be third because we played there in states for girls in 2015-ish. Um, we've lost in states there, but it's crazy atmosphere. You can see why everybody loves it there. So that's that's my that's my take now on the on these uh, as we finish up with the with the tournament here. More games at the Expo for AA people. Yeah, I I agree. I have similar takes. I think. Um, you know, my issues with the civic, uh, the, the cross insurance arena stem farther than just high school, but into like, you know, um, the Mariners, I, yeah. I, I worked, I worked for the Mariners and, uh, you know, I, I, unfortunately you can't sell out a stadium that has, what was 7,500 seats? Like that's it's a lot. It's only 6,000, but it's a lot. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, in the ECHL that there no team in the entire ECHL is selling out arenas and that it goes, right. for, it ranges from, you know, 3,000 to, to eight, eight or 9,000. So, um, and sometimes it makes the atmosphere look bleak, not as great. Um, and on, and on top of that, I'll add that the Mariners out of all of the ECHL teams had one of the best fan attendances throughout the year, like the numbers were, were crazy high, which is, which is great. But, um, I definitely agree. It, it, the expo is better. Um, it's tighter. It's more compact. Like the, that's, I think that's just in my opinion, that's fact. Like when things are smaller and everybody's closer together and the energy gets high, it makes it just better in general. Um, but you know, it, it's, to to play in a big place like that i do think the i like the, the way the court is set up i like the way they have that at the cross insurance arena um but yeah i, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon unfortunately no, I, it, it, it's going to stay that way um and with the coliseum with hockey i've been there the one time i went to a playoff game was a state championship maybe four or five years ago between biddeford and st dom's and that was crazy. The energy yeah. was crazy. Yeah. Um, it's and, an old and, arena. It's not nice, yeah. but it just works. I love it. It, it does. Yeah. And and so last year, uh, the TA, uh, oh my God, they played South Portland. Scarborough in the championship? I was gone. I was in Florida. I didn't, I didn't get to go to it. But I think they played Scarborough in the States. Yeah. Um, but that, 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 uh, the game was solid. But again, it's not, they're not filling it out. And it just doesn't look as good as it could be. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it, I still think in general, the attendance is pretty, it's very good at, at, at the expo at the cross trans arena. Um, it's good to see people showing up. It's, I mean, I saw, I saw somebody tweet about, it, I don't even know, but like, um, for the, the GNG noble game, they were like people showing up like two hours before game time, you know, yeah. in that slot, like when, right when the tour is open, like two hours before the people were showing up just, uh, just to show up for the game. So like, it's, it's, it's good to see, but, um, you know, in in a perfect world, it would 
you know, they'd be packed in the expo or they'd be back in the Coliseum or there'd be an arena that just had the right. perfect size and the perfect energy. Yeah. Parking stinks at all the places anyway. So that's, oh, that's yeah. something uh, not common. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe not, not Augusta. Augusta is great parking, but Portland, yeah. they're awful. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my next uh, topic uh, for the rundown, let's stem a little bit away from, from main sports. It's still a little bit, but um, Justin Brazo, who you may or may not have heard of, Jeff. I don't, I'm not sure if this is very, very I just moved here chapter today. Yeah. Uh, so Brazo uh, just had his debut for the Boston Bruins uh, in, I think he's played four games now, had a goal in his debut. Had really, really, really awesome, awesome first game. Uh, but the the most impressive thing about the story is that started with the Mariners, the main Mariners in Portland uh, in the ECHL, and then moved his way up to Providence and then moved his way up for a debut with the Bruins. And, you know, I think I, I saw a stat the other day, you know, out of in the entirety of the ECHL in, in its in its history, only 200 players have been able to go from ECHL to AHL to NHL, which in itself mm -hmm. is, is very, very impressive. So, you know, with the Bruins, there's two cases here. You've got the Justin Brazo and then you've got Brandon uh, Boosie, who's now in Providence, but is an NHL caliber goalie, in my opinion. But, you know. I guess my question is is not only in the NHL but in other leagues. You know, do you do you think that there is hidden talents? Like, do you think this is a a, a hidden talent situation with Brazo? You know, great player in the ECHL, didn't play many games there. Was actually had a contract with Providence and then was sent down for about twenty games or so. But with Providence, it's a very very solid player. Just kind of stays under the radar, and then all of a sudden he gets a chance. And it's like, oh my God, this guy, you know, he's he's a he's a bottom six winger. He's got talent. He's got skill. He knows how to play. And this is his debut, and he scored a goal. Like, so, do you think that whether it's in the NHL or in other leagues, do you think that there's hidden talents, or this is just more of like one guy getting overlooked for a long time and then finally getting his debut? That's hard because I I feel like there's it. A lot of it comes down to getting a shot because I think when yeah. you look at some of these minor leagues. Whether it's the NBA, MBD, or G League, sorry, uh, minor league baseball, not really minor league in football, but the this the gap between the great and the great great, I mean the great greats, the ones who make the pros, are so mm -hmm. so small, you know. And we see it here, um, you know, when you watch college college hoops. Sir, I remember the first time I ever saw it, like a real college basketball team walking around. It was many years ago. I was in a hotel, and there was a tournament in Kansas with Joel Embiid. Um, and uh, Andrew Wiggins was on that team too, and they were walking around the hotel, and I remember walking behind them, and they're freaks. And it's like, even their, their 11th guy on the bench, I was like, this guy is six foot nine, like super lanky. Now, he's never going to go pro, but that is a basketball player, right? So for these guys, a lot of it, it's about getting a shot. I don't know mm -hmm. if there's hidden talents. I think the way the place you see more, most hidden talents actually is football. Like when you're seeing recent years, Running mm -hmm. backs and wide receivers, especially that are coming from these Division One AA or even, or you know, football conference subdivision or Division Two, that they're getting drafted later on and they're they're playing pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think football is almost a little bit more equalized because you can even if you're a little bit undersized, if you're fast, you can probably find a spot at certain positions. Not every position, mm -hmm. of course. As far as hidden talents go, there's so these teams have so many talent evaluators. My only question would be about analytics. So if they're using analytics as a driving force, I do think there are people who are getting left behind because there's that intangible. You look at a guy like Julian Edelman. I'll use him as an example. Probably wasn't a big analytics guy, but came in an era where he got a shot and look, he came in my opinion a very close to a Hall of Fame career. So yeah, I would think it really drives on analytics. I don't know much about Brazo, um, but I think 
if they get a shot and they can perform, then great. But I think the problem is a lot of these guys aren't getting shots because unless your scouting department, um, you know, is getting a lot of um, attention, if you're just looking at numbers on a spreadsheet, uh, we can get another guy that can be a war of you know 1.2 or whatever it, that yeah. is. So uh, good for him that he got to get the, get the, the chance, though. Yeah, of course. And, and I, you know, I think uh, indirectly, you, you know, Brazo actually falls in that category that you mentioned, you know, he with uh, with Providence this year, 49 games, 37 points, didn't lead the team in any category. His plus minus was not out of this world. He's he's a good, solid player, but it, it wasn't a it, it was a, you know, in I think in most situations, guys like that get overlooked. And that's why I think it was a, a surprise. It's like, why are we giving Justin Brazo a look? Whereas, you know, you know, for people who know the Providence Bruins, you got Fabian Lisa, you got Toporowski, you got these guys um, who are at the top with points, you know, in, in, and have helped Providence and are scoring, you know, two, three points a game. You know, why are they giving Brazo a, a, a chance? But that might just be Boston. That might just be Jim Montgomery. That just might be their management. Um, but it, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about it. And, and um, it makes me look ahead to to a guy like, as I mentioned, Brandon Boosie, who started in Maine. He he played four games in Maine, and immediately they were like, he's not he's not supposed to be here. That's what's mm-hmm. Providence. And then in his rookie year, won uh, I think he won, won the rookie of the year in the AHL, or at least in 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 one of the conferences um, as a goaltender, which is hard to do in itself. So uh, he and was an all star. So you know he. Um, is a guy who could be in the NHL, but you know, it's like, is he ready for that? Is he just uh was this just a, a crazy moment of him making that step up or, you know, what does it look like? And then, and then if I wanted to right now, I could go into, you know, should we have Brandon Boosie go to the NHL and let's trade Linus Olmark. But yeah. that's, that's just such a whole different conversation, but it's interesting. Yeah. It, it is interesting. And it's also great to see for a guy like this. And, and it's, it, right. it, it it makes the Mariners organization look better. It makes Providence look better. And it makes Boston look better to say like, you know, who, who for years Boston has had, I've been looked at as one of the uh, horrible farm system. They don't have young guys. They don't have talent coming up. And it's like, Oh, this guy came from Maine two levels down that no one knows about. And look, look at what he's doing now uh, in his debut. So it it was was a good story. Awesome. My last uh, story for the rundown this week is court storming. And there's a controversy coming last weekend. Uh, Duke Wake Forest. Wake Forest wins at the end. Um, Duke ranked like number seven or eight, something like that. Wake Forest unranked, even though they had like 17 or 18 wins. They storm the court. Kyle Fabowski, you know, one of the best basketball players in the country, gets hit. Um, Thankfully, not seriously injured. And once in a while, these kind of these these you know stories come up about court storming. I want to give my my quick take. So look, I'm a Duke fan, so I got a little biased. Look. I understand that court storming is a uniquely college thing. I stormed a court once. I wasn't in college, but I was shortly out of college. I went back for the America East Championship game. BU was in it. We won, like, not at the buzzer, but right close. We all stormed the court. It's anarchy, right? I understand how cool it it must feel. Here's where we went wrong, where Wake Forest really is. Wake Forest and their security are at fault for this. I'm not saying they should ban court storming, but they need to have a plan to get everyone off the floor and then storm the court. Because if you look at look at that one specifically, those fans are running as fast as they can. These college kids are sprinting on the court, no regard for human life. They're a lot of times you see them on football fields now where they're interacting with these players of the other team, you know, taunting them, putting their phone in their face. So I think you need to have some kind of plan. Look, the game's about to be over. Pull the players for both teams off the floor if they want to come off the floor and then have some fun. I also think that another piece of this that 
is kind of lost in the is the debate about when 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 is court storming appropriate? You know, Wake Forest beating Duke, I get it. Duke is Duke. Duke was a top ten team. It's not Wake Forest was a horrible team. They're they're you know have a chance to make the tournament if they make a deep run in the ACC tournament. But there's always that thing of like you know you've seen some examples of mm-hmm. teams that should not be storming the court or storming the field when they win a game. You should have a little bit more pride than that. On the other hand, I understand they're college kids, but I think this hopefully will get some changes in terms of let's make sure the players are safe first before the college kids get to have their fun. There's a there's a happy medium between like ban it, it's terrible, and whoa, don't you know, don't do anything. They're just college kids. Well, if you want to be walking off a floor with 50 people coming directly from your side, I wouldn't want to be doing that too. So I think ho- hopefully this will be some good from will come from it. And uh, and Wake Forest and other schools will take precautions, and some schools do take those guys off the floor because this wasn't a buzzer beater. That is almost acceptable if it's a buzzer beater. This was not. They were up by four points with a few seconds mm-hmm. to go. Everyone knew they were going to win the game. Pull them off the floor. Um, so that, I think that that's a happy medium for court storming controversy right now. Yeah, and and that's the key point right there is just you know we're looking at the difference between what you can plan for and what you can't plan for, and that's why I differ with your opinion just a little bit. Is like I do think that. If we're there's you know eight seconds left and we're at that point in the game where we're shooting foul shots and it's it's over but it's over, there has to be some quick kind of like it's gonna happen. We know it's gonna happen. We need to get as much security down here as fast as possible. I need to go for the star players. And in this case, that was the big controversy. Was mm-hmm. uh, is it now? Here's the, the side note: Is it it's Philip Philipowski, right? Yeah, Philipowski. Yeah, I can't okay. pronounce it very well. I pronounced it wrong the other day, and a Duke fan that I know got really mad at me, and I was like, "Scum flip." Like, yeah, that's what I was saying. So everyone just yeah. called me flip. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, to some other degree, I just you can't control it. I just don't think. You, I understand you know, that it's it, really yeah. hard to control it. Yeah. Um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, this happened a couple weeks prior to Caitlin Clark when Iowa got upset. Yeah, same she thing got, happened. She got hit as well, and I don't think she got severely injured, but. Um, you know, in the press conference, she made a comment about like, I got hit hard. Like, that's not, it's not, you can't have that happen. Yeah. And what Um, you don't want is you don't want an athlete presuming you're going to get hit. And with hers, it was like, there was a little controversy because it looked like she kind of almost initiated the contact. mm -hmm. Um, And if someone's saying about that, about flip too, but it's like, I can understand you just played this huge game. You just lost and you have someone running at you with their phone. Like it's, it's hard for anybody to not, I'm not saying you should punch them out, but like mm. if someone's running right by you in your face, and I would I'd push them away. I have no problem with athletes doing that. If you're invading the floor, you almost get what you deserve. Yeah, I agree. And, and the the one thing that I I actually liked was is that uh, Flip was pretty adamant in. Uh, I don't know if it was just post game or maybe a couple of days later, but he was asked about it by from media, and he just said honestly, like. It's not okay. It's not acceptable, yeah. and that was not like I. I was. He was mad, and yeah. I think he has the right to to say like that's not okay. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I've seen people saying that like he was getting hit. Like people were purposely hitting him and and pushing him out of the way. So obviously, yeah. I don't I don't blame him for being upset. But uh, it's it, you're right. It's such an it's trying to find that happy medium between like. You know, obviously you don't want to ban it. That's that's just nobody wants that. But you have to have some kind of regulation on it. But in the same sense, it's a bunch of college kids that are just like, I'm going to get to the court. And everybody has that mentality of I'm getting to the court. And they don't want to yeah. stop for, for anybody there. So It is uh, fun when you do it, though. I did it one time. It was memorable <laughs> forever. 
Was it was it a big gym? Was it like the Wake Forest? Was it like hundreds and hundreds of people, or just like a smaller group? I would say. Well, I mean, we did a little bit. Uh, this was at a Gannis Arena in Boston, so it's a mm. decent sized arena. It's like maybe four thousand, five thousand seats. And I will say, yes, we ran on the court, but it wasn't like the way. I mean, if you look at the Wake Forest one, it is like collapsing of people, like sprinting. Yeah. A lot of times, it's like a few mm. kids, and eventually you're able to get through. But that was like a like a collapsing bag or something. So it wasn't that. It was scary though when you're actually running there. Because you, you don't know how, how fast this person in front of you is. And thankfully, it's unlike football where you're only running, you know, 30 feet onto the middle of the floor and then you just jump mm. up and down. And, you know, so it was yeah. it was pretty fun. One time thing. Though. I can't do that now. I'd die. My last point about uh, court storming or field storming now specifically is my favorite video of all time. I don't remember what game it was. I don't remember how many years ago but it was that there's a video of one of the equipment managers for whatever college it was, and when he knew that the, the uh, field storm was coming, and when it started, he ran to grab the pylons. I don't know if you've seen that video. I have seen that. Yeah, running across the sideline to grab the pylons, and he just like he knew it. Like he's like, then no one's getting these pylons. Like yeah, I, they're they're going right back to the equipment room. So absolutely, uh, it, it's interesting. Yeah. So to finish up uh, this segment of the rundown, I am going to talk about the Boston Bruins. I have to my favorite team, and right now, absolutely. It's rough his abysmal performances so I, I i saw this from adam pellerin at nesson um the the uh, west coast road trip they had in january all the games went to overtime the west coast trip in february all the went to overtime but to make the matters worse in february they were all losses and most of them were giving up comebacks and having a lead but then dropping that lead in the third period so um it, i it's very tough to look at the stats and say, look at this. We have 12 regulation losses and 14 overtime losses. That's just giving away free points. And again, this comes back to the argument of like, oh, what can you expect from Boston? They were supposed, they were looked at as a wild card team, maybe third in the Atlantic and look at what they're doing now. But this type of hot, like, like I, I get a skid. I understand losing leads and, and, and losing in overtime, but this type of skid is like, it just, like, I'll be honest with you. Being in Connecticut, I, most of that is blacked out. I don't get to watch a lot of games. It's but, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, especially with this road trip, like I follow along. I, I listen to ninety-eight-five and or like some games I missed. I wake up. You know, I went to bed and they were leading, and I wake up and it's like another overtime loss. And I and I, I go back and I watch the replay, and it's like they don't care. It's like yeah. we, we got the point. Let's just leave. Like, let's just go home. And it's it's. It's a little embarrassing as a fan. I and I just don't know. I, I was almost waiting for something to change. Like either they start losing in regulation, and it's like okay, this is the real like you know middle of the season and towards like you know third 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 quarter of the season skid, or they start winning and it's like, okay, this is just them and overtime and whatever. But it's just continuing to happen, and I, I, I honestly don't even know what to think about it because it's just like it's it's just so it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So, so I'll give you the one kind of one prompt question. Um, where are you really the question right now with the Bruins or one of the questions is goal attending situation. Do you go with Swayman and Olmark as a, as in the Stanley cup, Stanley cup playoffs as a, a rotation, or do you trade Olmark now, get what you can for him? What, what are your thoughts on that? Cause I've, I've heard everything from Bruins fans. Like one of the others, it, it just didn't work last year. You had yeah. two guys trying to fill one position in the playoffs. Well, the, the problem that I have is I got way too deep into Bruins fan Twitter. So now I see everything. I, I see both ends of the spectrum. I see the people yeah. that are totally reasonable. They're bringing stats. They're, you know, they're listening to what these really good analysts are saying. They're saying, okay, here's my point. I hear, so I'm going to add on to that. And there's just people saying like, sell the team, screw them all. Like it's over, like, you know, trade everybody. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I think 
no matter if they trade Omar, in the playoffs, you have to go with one goalie. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about how great of friends they are. You go with one. You go with one. Right. You can't. The goalie tandem doesn't work. Never and has. La- and if last year wasn't enough of a of a, a view into how it doesn't work, then I don't know what you've been looking at because, you know, it it it's it's just not it's not a postseason thing. And right. I I honestly I say play the better keep the keeper or, or goaltender I should say is the correct word. But you play the better one. I don't I don't care if it's Wayman. I don't care if it's Omar. And I don't care about your feelings. And I don't think that they're gonna care about their feelings if they win a cup or if they make a super deep run. Like no one's gonna you know I don't if let's just say Omar and and Swayman are both there and Omar gets you know to is the better player and he plays, I don't think Swayman's going to be sitting there going, oh, I deserve to play. I think he knows, like, you, it didn't work last year. I'm not doing that again. Right. Um, and then you talk about trading Omar. He's got better value now than he'll have next year. Um, you know, he's not – it's not a bad um, contract. He still has one year after this at, at $5 million AAV, so it's not terrible. But, um, you know, I, I like Brandon Brucey to come up and be a backup for Swayman. But then that puts pressure on Swayman to not only – play all postseason pretty much but to finish the season off and and he'd be playing a lot more games than i think he's used to right. um it, it just depends on what they can get the salary cap is really tight at the deadline you know mm-hmm. and old mark would open that up but but who needs a goaltender right now and that's that's the thing is like i think a month ago you could have gotten something really nice or a couple months ago out of edmonton when they were struggling to win or a couple months ago when toronto was like we need a goaltender right now you probably could have gotten better um better value but uh we'll see what happens this trade deadline i'm not expecting them to make any moves i'm also can i'm also expecting they'll probably make a move or two i don't i honestly don't really care because this season to me was such a like let i it's i have no expectations for them to be this good and they've being this good even with the overtime losses like i mentioned it's just like let's just see how it goes i'm excited to watch some postseason hockey um, and at that time, I'll be home so I can actually watch the games because right. I, I, I swear I haven't watched a Bruins game in weeks. Like I, I, I did you I watch every game last year? Like every single. I remember you said I'm going to watch every single game I last was, year. I, I was close. I didn't keep real count, but if I had to put it in the ballpark, I would say probably like 70 out of 82 games. Wow. I was like I was I was locked in. But um, I watch recaps. I look at stats. I, I listen to you know the analysts on Twitter. So I, I think I still have a good understanding of where they're at right now. But I can't, I literally can't watch games. Like I yeah, like I hard. everything is. But only thing I can watch is is ABC and that's and most of those games so far. This year have been Chicago, Philadelphia, right. and then like or good teams where they're, who they're losing to. So, absolutely, um, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is rough, rough time know. for Bruins fans right now. But you knew that was coming after the, after all the years of continuity. I mean, at some point stuff was going to happen. Bergeron's gone, and we'll see what happened with Marchand. And it's going to be it's going to be an interesting couple of years for you. You still have some great players, but for me, and I'm again, I'm a very light Bruins fan. For me, I you know I love Charlie McAvoy, but he needs to step up and be a top, top defender, mm-hmm. like it, for the Bruins to win. I mean, he's paid a lot of money for them to be, you know, he needs to be Chara. I'm sorry, but like, I know Chara's a freak, but for, if you want the team to win and you're, you're basically cornerstoning your defense around a guy, he needs to be a little bit better. He's a good player, but you know, he's a BU guy. So I love him, but needs to be, you know, take that next step. Uh, you know, not just this year, I'm talking but long-term to make sure that him and pasta and then the goalie, but do they have the kind of that backbone to, to go some, some deep playoff runs, but yeah. at least they're not the Leafs, right? 
That's true. We're not the least, and that's <laughs> no. that's what's the best part about it. Yeah. Um, so, so that's it for the rundown segment. But now we're going to transition into what I've pretty much been most excited for about this episode. You know, obviously the first episode being our guest, which is Michael Hoffer, uh, sp- uh, sports writer for the Forecaster. Uh, you know, uh, I, I would say you're a lot closer with with uh, Hoffer than I am. I, I've you know spoken to him a couple of times, but um, I'm really excited. So uh, let's get into that, that interview. All right, we want to welcome in our first ever guest on the main rundown pod. It is Michael Hoffer. Before we get into any talk about the tournament, about you know your career or anything, just want to introduce you real quick to people who may not know you. As Jeff and I, we've we've seen you around, we, you know, past couple of years. But uh, Michael Hoffer is one of the most prestigious sports writers, pretty much in the state of Maine, and he's been the sports editor of the Forecaster newspaper since 2001. He also uh, specializes and spends a lot of time covering the Maine high school basketball tournament every year. So Jeff and I see him around a lot. So uh, for those of you in Maine who might be listening or watching, you know who Michael Hoffer is for those outside the state of Maine may not know but hopefully today we can uh get into a lot of that and into some good conversation so uh Jeff take it away yeah so uh you're not an original Mainer uh, but you are a staple of Maine media so just talk a little bit about your history where you came from and 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 one of the reasons is, is we've talked about why did you choose Maine to to, to take that leap and, and and come here well first of all I'm honored to be the first guest that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty talk about prestigious that's uh, that's really cool so no thank you for having me and you know, I, I've been very fortunate to have the career I've had. And um, unlike you guys, where you probably knew what you wanted to do straight out of school at a young age, it really took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do. I was a big sports fan. Uh, I can go back. I go back to Super Bowl 10. That's how old I am. Uh, Can't even do the math on that. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I was only eight, but, you know, that, that's a lot of years ago. But I've been a sports fan my whole life. And uh, just when I was about 30 years old, I finally put together that the, the sports writing would be, uh, would be a great career. And it was just a question of how do you get into it. But I uh, I started out just doing a couple of articles a week for the forecaster freelancing. And then it kind of grew into a full-time position. And I kind of took it from there. But, you know, my perspective is I've always liked to write the way I like to read. And I want to present as much info as possible. Um, that Hence the long game stories with the expansive quotes, the historic background, that kind of stuff. Um, just really... Uh, the things that I'm interested in, I feel like, you know, a lot of people hopefully are as well. And, you know, it's always been, been well received. So even though some of these stories take a long time to write and, and take me into the wee hours, uh, that's the way to do it. And, and I've always loved what I do. And you know, like I say, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to uh, to do what I do. Well, so you mentioned the, the the story form that you do, and you write differently than a lot of uh, people are trained. Like I was trained the pyramid method, exactly. you know, most important stuff first, and then right. delve down. Yeah. You since I mean, as long as I've ever read your game yeah. stories, three, four thousand words sometimes for the bigger games. Why do you think that that is an attractive way? I mean, obviously it's working. Why is that an attractive way? And talk maybe a little bit about how you've been able to do that because most newspapers would be like, sorry, you have three hundred fifty words right. to do. How is why do you do that? And how do you feel like people react to that? Well, you know, for starters, I wouldn't be able to do it if it were in print. I mean, certainly you can't have 1,000-plus, 2,000-plus right. word stories in print. There's just not enough room. So, you know, if I was doing this before before we could go on the web and put stuff on our website, it probably, I probably would have wound up writing like everyone else. But I've just, you know, like I said, I feel like people want to hear expansive quotes from the kids and the coaches. And, you know, this, what I do, if you're just an average sports fan in the area, you might pick up an article and glance at it. But if you have kids involved, or if you grew up being a big part of a certain community, uh, this is, you know, this is more in depth than you're going to find anywhere else. And that, that's where I feel like my niche has, has come from. 
is uh, speaking to those people and, and letting the kids tell their stories and letting the coaches tell their stories. And, you know, so many of these communities have such a rich sports tradition. I mean, the city of Portland by itself, certainly here at Thornton Academy, I mean, you guys have as rich a tradition as anybody. Um, so the past is, is always there. And so you've got not only what's going on today, but you can reach back and, you know, when's the last time this happened or has this ever happened before? And, you know, as, as a sports guy, as a history guy, that's what I love to read about. And that's kind of how uh, how it all came about. Interesting, Zach. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, these these long uh, uh, stories that you write. You know, it's something more for the web and not really for print. How how do you think? Can you talk a little bit about how social media has impacted not only your role uh, in your job, but also just like the way that main sports and sports coverage has changed over the years? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been critical and crucial, and it, I really embraced it. You know, when when Twitter first came out, um, it was an opportunity for me writing at a small weekly paper that really was limited to just the greater Portland area to uh, to kind of reach out to people all over, and uh, not only to uh, report from games and update scores on a regular basis, which which got a good following, but link out game stories that honestly people might not have been able to find otherwise. Um, so, you know, that, that grew and grew into a, a huge following on Twitter, which, which has been awesome. And I, I just think you have to, regardless of what you do now, you have to embrace all these different avenues of, of information. And, you know, the old time traditional sports writers probably didn't want to have to do anything additional on Twitter and Facebook and that kind of stuff. But it's kind of like a publisher parish type thing in the uh, academic world. You, you really have to have as much out there as frequently as possible. And, uh, and it's not just me. I mean, a lot of people do a great job with social media, and it's not just Twitter anymore, obviously, either. You know, it's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's, it's a lot of things that I don't even do. Uh, but I think, I think it's all, I'm all for all of it. And, you know, the more of it, the better. And I think the more information that we can disseminate, the better. Yeah, I want to expand on that a little bit. We talked earlier in the podcast about the changing way that uh, the changing media landscape here in Maine. So you, you look at the traditional styles, you know, obviously, Travis Lee, David, just legends, they're still yeah. doing their thing. Channel 6 has basically stopped doing sports altogether several years ago. Um, you know, the Press Herald obviously is still around, but papers like the Journal Tribune, they're not around anymore. So let some in the Courier that is our local forecaster doesn't really have any any specific reporters. But what you're seeing is a lot of these startups, big time Hoops Maine and the football guys, um, you know, Maine basketball rankings. Right. We talked about guys right. like him and yep. all of these other, and for us, it's great as students as well, that are going to these games and covering them. You guys are you meaning you in the professional media. This is what you do for a job. You guys are kind of still backed by companies. What do you say to these people who are just doing it on their own, trying to find a niche? You know, we talked about this year not being. You know, we don't have a Cooper Flag this year. We don't have a JP Estrella. Right. You know, the tournament itself. There haven't been a ton of really exciting games or huge Cinderella runs. But the coverage is more than we've ever seen. What do, what do you, when you're sitting there at the games and you're seeing all these other people there? What do you, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's great. And you know, I came along and and I came along in a in a non traditional manner. Um, so I I strongly encourage anyone to try to make a living out of this, however you want to do it, because there are ways. There's non traditional ways to do it. And uh, I, you know, what we've seen with the quote unquote traditional media is, you know, this. We, we don't have anything anywhere near the coverage we used to, like you mm -hmm. alluded to. One of our local TV stations doesn't even really show sports highlights at right. all anymore. Uh, the, 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 you mentioned the Journal Tribune. Uh, the Times Record doesn't have a full-time sports person. Uh, you know, we're losing – the the traditional media has lost a lot of members, but there's still people out there that want all that coverage. Right. And I, I think it's great to see uh, new people come along, new ideas. And, you know, I try to be as welcoming and supportive as possible because once upon a time, 
you know, it was a while ago, but it wasn't right. that long ago. I was them. And I think you have to give back uh, just uh, just as you receive just you know you receive the support that I did back in the day. Um, so anything that keeps this going going forward is a good thing, and I encourage anyone uh, to find your niche, get your name out there, write as much as possible, even if only a handful of people are reading it. You, you know, you have to get a start somewhere, and you know, just just do it. I'm on your side. Yeah. So mentioning the business a little bit. Um... So a few years ago, the forecaster was purchased or enveloped by Maine Today Media. I'm not going to ask you, you know, put you on the spot saying, you know, do you like it better or not? But what, did, what have been the differences that you've noticed? Um, you know, you're basically kind of doing your same thing. You're covering pretty much all high school sports um, and really focusing on the seasons of the sports season. So how has that changed for you on the ground, uh, having obviously more exposure, but also have been a different kind of pressures that have come along with that? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, my job day to day hasn't changed a lot. Um, but, you know, one thing I have noticed is, you know, in the past, you know, say we had a Portland team against a team from the Augusta area playing in a state final. The, you know, the Waterville Augusta paper would be there as well as the Press Herald. You'd have different different mm -hmm. stories. A lot of times now they'll just have one person covering the game for all the papers. So you don't have as many voices. You don't have as many avenues to read. I mean, I know as a sports fan, I want to. Patriots won the Super Bowl, and it doesn't sound like that's going to happen anytime soon. Nope. But remembering back in the day, you know, I'd go to every website I could find, every newspaper. I, you know, I, I want more, 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 more. Right. And I feel like, you know, there's still a lot of, of an audience for that out there that wants more, more, more. So, you know, that's one thing that's changed. Uh, but I, I guess the most important thing is, is we're still viable. You know, we're still employed. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we're, uh, we're, we're going the nonprofit route right now and, you know, knock on wood so far, so good there. So, you know, we, we've had support, uh, you know, different owners over various times, but, you know, we've been able to keep this going and, you know, the, the community still wants the news and they want the sports and they want everything that we provide. It might not be necessarily as big a circulation in print anymore, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that those eyeballs are going away. Uh, it's just different ways to access them. Definitely. Zach? Yeah, definitely for sure. You know, so as we, we start to transition here into, you know, this tournament, the basketball tournament, that's pretty much towards the end. We're still waiting for some of those state games. But, you know, just talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of the some of the things you saw this tournament, things that were special, things that were different, things that you enjoyed. Because, uh, you know, I, even being in, in Connecticut right now, I, I saw a lot of coverage as we talked about. And it seemed like a, a pretty interesting tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a whirlwind nine days for me. I, <laughs> I by the by the end of it, I, I basically have been sleeping all week just to catch up and that's how it is but but it's also the most fun week of the year and it's a chance to see people that in a lot of cases you don't see the rest of the year uh some old timers come back you know former great players come back um it's just it, it's more than just a basketball event i guess if you will uh you know the basketball itself you know jeff alluded to the fact we didn't really have buzzer beaters to speak of i did have a couple upsets i mean the falmouth boys losing to westbrook in that first round right. i mean that was stunning to me yeah i thought this was the year they were going to break through after losing in the state game two years in a row. I thought they were going to go all the way, um, you know, certainly get another round or two. So that was a stunning result. And then the Greeley girls upsetting Gray New Gloucester, they had lost them by 42 points just a couple weeks before the tournament. They come out and beat them by 21. And, it, you know, it's the old adage, you just don't know. It's high school sports, it's teenage kids, you never know on a given day. And, you know, for the for the most part, when, when there's a big difference between teams, we do know. And we don't get mm -hmm. upsets like that very often. So when you do, um, it's really remarkable. It, you know, we don't have the superstars on the guys' side that we've had. You know, Maddie Fitzpatrick is a special player on the girls' side. She's an all-time top 10, maybe top 5 uh, high school girls basketball player in the state of Maine. So to watch her play has been fun. And the way her teammates have really stepped up. She was in foul trouble for half the game against Oxford Hills the mm -hmm. other day. You know, Shevers could have easily lost that game. 
Uh, but Ruth Foles was tremendous, maybe the best game she's ever played. And then the quote-unquote supporting cast came up big, you know, not only on defense, but hitting some big shots too. And that's what you have to have uh, to win a championship. So, you know, Chevers coming into the season, I think people didn't know quite what to make of them. They lost one of their best players to Thornton Academy. Uh, they lost two other players who had somewhat some experience. They moved over to Mount Ararat. So it really was uh, Maddie Fitzpatrick, Ruth Bowles, and a lot of unknowns. So to see that story come together, uh, you know, it's really been a cool story. You got the Brunswick girls on the brink of maybe winning a, a championship for the first time. They lost in the state game last year, and they've been very driven uh, to get back and to win it this year. You know, I, I love the history aspect. I mean, I wish I covered Grainer Gloucester just for the fact that I could talk about 1975. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gerald Ford was in the White House. It was the year Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live debuted as Carlton Fisk became a household name. And that's the last time Grainer Gloucester played in and won a state title, and now they're back. Uh, you know, just uh, those those kind of stories are fantastic. Gorham and Wyndham, you know, two uh, two neighboring towns, two rivals that really haven't had much basketball success. Wyndham hasn't had any basketball success at all. And for Gorham, it's been about two decades. You know, they're going to be playing in the biggest state game of them all. If you look at the big class boys, uh, that'll that'll culminate everything on Saturday night. So, you know, there's never a shortage of great storylines. You know, for some kids, they might get to play in this tournament one time. And uh, even if they lose by 30, it's still an incredible experience to step on the Expo floor, to step on the Augusta Civic Center floor, uh, to step on the Civic Center floor, whatever the case may be. And, uh, and I think that just permeates, and that's, that's why we're all so drawn to it. It's just a fun event. I wish it was spread out a little bit more just to take it in as right. a fan instead of just constantly prepping games, covering games, or writing about games. But, you know, I managed to do a little bit of that, too. And it's just it's a fun social event and uh, and athletically i mean it really is the highlight of the of the whole school year so we have two uh it's very rare for boys and girls to win uh, the same year but we have right. two chances of it this year we have gorham um which you know again most people would say the gorham boys are probably right. favored uh the gorham girls probably uh, underdogs you look at oceanside those two teams are 40 and 0 combined right. what would it say i think it was 2018 i think it was the last time the, that we had every little that won both yeah and um, Greeley. yeah yeah so what do you do you what does it mean for a school like that? I mean, taking those two separately, obviously, do you, which team do you think has a better chance? And what would it say if we had maybe two teams that, that did in the same year? Yeah, I mean, it's really remarkable. And, and you look at, I mean, a lot of schools have a strong basketball tradition, even if you have a strong girls and boys. But there's no guarantee you're both going to get it done in the same year. And, uh, you know, Greeley did it. I think Greeley did it back-to-back years when Anna DeWolf was still there and that boys team had an incredible run. Uh, but it, 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 it is a rarity. And, I mean, you look at Oceanside, they probably feel like they should have done it last year because the girls had won the title in 2022, were heavily favored last year, got upset by Spruce Mountain. The boys got to the state game but lost to Orono. So both of those teams are kind of on a mission. I mean, look, there's been no shortage of ink or, uh, or words spilled of, on, on the Oceanside boys this year. Uh, not only how great they are, but, you know, right. some perception of maybe uh, they, they haven't been a sportsman right. like as they should. And, you know, that's that's a discussion for another time. But it's a great, great team. And the Galley brothers are terrific players. And unlike last year where they struggled to get through the region, they really had no struggle this time around. You know, can they beat Orono up in Bangor? It's always hard for a Southern Maine team. Yeah. I guess they're not a Southern Maine team, but right. from not being in that area to have to go up there and win, we'll see. Oceanside girls, they did win a state title up there mm-hmm. two years ago. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And you know, I agree with perception on Gorham. I wouldn't write off the Gorham girls, though. Uh, it's a very seasoned group. They're very balanced. If they come out and hit some shots and get some early confidence, I think they can play with Chevers. And you look at the state game two years ago where Chevers beat them. I didn't even realize this until I went back and researched it. 
But that game was tied at halftime, so it wasn't right. like Chevrolet ran away with it. You know, last year Oxford Hills pulled away in the second half and beat Gorham decisively. I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any means. Uh, I think with the way Lon Berthoom coaches, he's going to keep that team right in the game. And and then the boys, if they play their game, they're going to be really tough to beat. But Wyndham, they're a special team too. Yeah, they just find ways minutes. to win. They're, they're not winning don't... by a lot, but they're finding little ways to <laughs> right, win. Right. Now you mentioned Lon Berthoom, and, and I want to bring up coaching for a little bit. Obviously, coaching matters. No one you know denies that. Billy Goodman's been a you know legend as well. In your job, how important is it to keep that relationship with the coaches? You do, I mean, you, you're not just doing game stories. You're doing preview stories. You're doing games and stories in the middle, and then you're doing, uh, you know, stories at the end. How do you kind of keep that line being like, I want to not be your friend. I want to support you. But also your job is to report on it. And if there's something that's not great about the team, sometimes you may have to report on that too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of the job, and it's, it's part of the balancing act. And, I mean, let's face it. Human nature sets in. You you really like certain people. You cheer for certain people, certain stories. Right. Um, you know, I always like when programs haven't won for a long time and suddenly have success. That, that's always a favorite story of mine, that kind of thing. And, you know, you know someone for 20, 25 years. You know they're going for some kind of record or a first championship in a long time. It's hard not to pull for them, but you, you can't let that show in your writing. And you try to be as objective as possible. And, you know, one thing that I've really enjoyed in recent years is, is kind of branching out and getting to know some coaches and athletic directors and teams from schools that aren't necessarily in our coverage area. Thornton Academy, Gorham, Wyndham, mm-hmm. uh, you know, places like that, Brunswick, uh, York, Wells. And, you know, it gets to the point where I, you know, I've had several people say, oh, God, I wish you were covering our teams. I wish, right. you, we, I wish we were in your coverage area. That's very flattering. So I feel like, you know, I must be doing something right in that yeah. case. Looking at, we talked a little bit about venues earlier for the tournament. So I want to get two two questions. One is, what is your favorite tournament venue uh, to cover? We'll, we'll include hockey and basketball. And then outside of that, what is your favorite uh, venue to cover of any sport at any time? Maybe it's a school, maybe it's whatever. Just a place that you it could be indoor, outdoor, whatever. That that just it, and maybe it's something to do with popcorn. I don't know something. So your your tournament venue and then and then you're just your your favorite venue to go overall yeah well so as far as term I, I think the augusta civic center is the best yeah you're pulling off the highway you've got a great big parking lot you come in it's a basketball venue mm-hmm. it's got a ton of history it's got a really good snack bar too as those places go it's a lot more reasonable right than the civic center or the yeah. expo uh the place loses history especially when you get like the smaller schools in there it's that don't normally get to play on anywhere near that kind of a stage. And, and, and the Expo is special, too. I mean, talk about right. history. That's even older. Uh, they've had uh, big events there for the better part of a century. And uh, when that building's full, and it's been it's been pretty full, this mm-hmm. tournament, and you, you even hear people talking about, you know, should we have some of the double-A early rounds over there? Which I, 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 I said that for great. sure. I love it. It's just, it's just figure out what kind of schedule you can do to make that happen. Right. But it, it's a great venue for basketball. Uh, Civic Center, it's a hockey arena. When it's full for a state game, you get some good atmosphere, but really it's, it's not the best venue. And right. uh, The old Bangor Auditorium was storied for good reason. Uh, the new Cross Insurance Center up there, I, I, I did a state game up there a couple of years ago. Really, really nice venue, but you know it doesn't have the history right. of, of the other places. Yeah. Um, you know, I, covering baseball games at Hadlock Field is kind of cool. I mean, yeah, you know, true. You don't get an opportunity to do that uh, as a high school sports reporter very often, and yeah. sit up in the press box and, and you know just kind of take on the whole thing. And um, you know, we don't really have like any old special gyms in our coverage area to mm-hmm. speak of. There's a lot of newer things, and a lot of the schools are newer. But you know, Hadlock Field for sure. You know, Fitzpatrick Stadium to do. You know, state games for football across. That's always a big event at the end of the school year, which I always really enjoy. So, you know, those are some of the places that I would say I 
I certainly spend most of my time at and enjoy the most. Well, we used to do a lot of recruit, uh, not recruiting for um, <laughs> some Freudian slip there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of scouting for football. We right. go to a lot of the local ones. Bonnie Eagle has the yeah. best, the best popcorn. Yeah, maybe maybe of, uh, anywhere. An incredible coach Dick Agresti used to always go with us, and he would always try the popcorn. And it was always the best there. So <laughs> my only one follow before Zach goes on here. Um, you know, we, one thing we talked about as well is there was a story that kind of broke, and it's still happening now. Um, buying tickets to the Cross Insurance Arena and these kind of crazy fees. Um, again, I saw it today. A student, a student, five dollar student ticket was going to cost about thirteen dollars after fees. Do you think you know? Is that something that you've seen anywhere else? Is that is it? Obviously, it's a Ticketmaster thing. It's not like the MPA is trying to gouge anybody. No. But like that, for me, that's so disappointing that you know. And the answer kind of has been like, well, just buy them in person. But that's not you know always the most feasible, always right. feasible either. So what what's your reaction to that story? Which you saw that kind of broke a couple weeks ago. It's shameful, and honestly. It- if it were me, you know, I know we're, and we might get to this topic. You had mentioned something about it if I were king for a day or whatever. I'd let the students in for free. And, mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's get as good a student environment as possible. And you can start by doing that by letting them in for free. And there's still plenty of room to sell a lot of other tickets and make a lot of other money. Uh, but, no, I mean, this gouging for high school sports, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, I, I hope they can find a way to bypass Ticketmaster altogether. Yeah, I mean, I certainly encourage people to go do it in person if at all possible. Because right. why, why would you spend? You know, you're not going to a, to the Super Bowl or a Taylor Swift right. concert. You're going. Right. You're going to a high school <laughs> basketball game. Yeah. So you pay the face value and get it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. So uh, before we get into some Patriots talk, as as, uh, as Jeff said, a couple more questions here. So this one's a little more personal, just just from me to you. You know, right now I'm taking a lot of writing classes, a lot of a lot of the, the sports media that I'm doing. You know, the the teachers I have, the faculty are are hammering this. You know, gotta stay away from bias. You gotta watch your bias. And so, as a sports reporter who's done this for so many years, do you find it hard to still deal with bias? What you know when you see these like really interesting stories or teams that you really like to follow, um, in, in whether it be high school games or, or or whatever you're covering. Well, I mean, and like I say, I mean, it really comes back to human nature, and I, I think you have to be aware of it as you write. Uh, but certain things are just going to come across. You know, I, my writing's kind of enthusiastic and positive, and some people might take it that you know I've been, I've been accused many times of, of favoring one community over another, and you know that's not ever the intent. Um, usually, it's highlighting the positives of something that, that you know one community did as as opposed to the other. And then I can think of a lot of other instances where you know the community that lost that particular game, I'd probably written a lot of stories that were uh, you know very positive as well. And you know, as sports fans, we, human nature is you know we tend to overreact big time. And, oh, my God, you know, everyone wants us to lose. And, you know, ESPN hates the Patriots. And, you know, it's it's it, I, I'm guilty of it as well. Well, they so, do. So that's okay. I guess that's a different exception. <laughs> but I what I would say is, I mean, you if you feel like you're being fair, you got I mean, be true to yourself, to your writing style. If you feel like you're being fair and you can defend that if someone accuses you of not, I mean, you got you've got to pull the trigger. And I mean, you can't be paralyzed by the fact that oh my god this might be offensive to you know one one team one city one community um, if, if you feel like you're doing your best work you let it ride moving beyond basketball we talked a lot about that what do you think of the, what's the state of main high school athletics you know there's a lot of talk about participation rates right. Um, certainly for football, but even in other sports where, you know, I remember even 10 years ago, there was a JV, a freshman JV and a varsity team for pretty much every sport. And now you're 
lucky to get a first team for something. A, 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 you know, a, a sport like girls hockey has co-ops that literally are like eight schools together. Yep. Um, some of it's just a general, you know, participation issue around the country. Some of it is the main population. What What have you seen? You know, talking to coaches and talking to players about. You're always going to have that superstar athlete, but it's that secondary athlete that maybe is not the star. There's sometimes some of them are just not choosing to play sports or they're choosing to specialize. What do, what do you see, you see in the next five ten years for Maine high school sports in general? Well, I mean, it's it's certainly alarming. I mean, the numbers are what they are, and you can see with your own two eyes that I mean, you look at boys and girls hockey. There are very few standalone programs right. anymore. I just it just doesn't happen. And, and I know hockey is kind of a unique sport, and it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the equipment's not cheap. You you have to travel a lot. You get ice time at five in the morning and ten at night. It's it's definitely not for everybody. And you know, as time goes on, I think you've seen some participation numbers kind of dip. Uh, but you know, other sports where you know, like field hockey and soccer and and things that, um, you know, I think a lot of kids just get disengaged over time if they're not playing, mm-hmm. um, or if they uh, they feel like they have to specialize in a certain sport to be able to play in college, and they just there's so few realistic. Uh, avenues to that happening and and you know for every cooper flag there's a thousand other kids that are never going to play uh, d1 coming from the state of maine it's such a rarity and, right. and you know most kids are better off just staying in their community uh, having fun with their friends being kids and if you're a good athlete you're going to be discovered i've always believed that right and uh, you know maybe something for like if you want to play college hockey you might need to go prep at some point but for, realistically speaking you can play uh, high school sports and multiple sports and coaches want multi-sport Absolutely. athletes. You hear this all the time. Yeah, but the pro- see the thing that I always wonder, and I don't have any proof of this anecdotally, but uh, you know, there's so much emphasis on, emphasis on winning. And if you're a kid and you have, you know, and you, again, let's go back 30 years before social media, before whatever. If you're an athlete, you play sports. Whether you guys are, where your team is good, bad, because you're with your friends. Nowadays, there are so many other distractions. You could do video games. You could do so many other things that I feel like I'm seeing teams that are, if your program is routinely unsuccessful, why, you know, why are you going to play? If you're going to go out there and you're going to, you know, go two and 12 as a, as a squad, you're not placing that much emphasis on the team camaraderie, especially with football, because you're physically getting beat. Right. Right. But even the other sports where I'm saying like, you know, it's not every program is great. If you're a program that's not even having ebbs and flows, what do you say to a kid like that? That's like, okay, you can either go home and have, you know, have fun on your own, or you can go, you know, play girls lacrosse and get and get waxed twenty to five every game. I mean, that's not very fun either. So I don't know what. How do you how do you convince people that it's still worth beyond the wins and losses and a potential to go to college to to try out for sports? I don't know, Zach. Maybe you have some thoughts too. I mean, no, I mean it's. I think it's just you know, there's it's like that underlying fact of like as you mentioned, you know. Sometimes teams are going out here and they're, and they're performing two and twelve, and they go into the season knowing they're going to perform two and twelve. And there are some kids on that team that that have that team camaraderie of like I'm going to go and have fun and I'm going to play because I like the sport. And there are other kids that want to win, and so um, it's you know the division between two, those two different type of of athletes on a team is is, is tough. But uh, you know, I think it's you wish everybody was there to to just to be there to enjoy the game and to 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 play. You know, whether it's basketball or hockey or football. But that's just not how kids are these days. And and I think um, you know, it's it, there is that division. Whatever whatever team it might be, whatever sport it might be, there are kids that are there to have fun, and and there are coaches that some coaches are there to have fun, and some are there. Right. You know, we're gonna win because that's what I want to do. Is I want to win. Yeah, how much do you see the support from the athletic departments um, play a role in that in the parents groups? Like when you see a team that's you know not 
you know, gonna gonna do that well, and 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 maybe it's not a sport that gets a lot of people there anyway. Um, what do you see from the support from the athletic directors? Obviously, you get to, you get to interact with a lot of these guys, and how does that help? You know, at least get the team through the season. Right. I mean, I think that's that's an imperative part of it is to try to keep it positive, try to attend as much games as possible, to show support. And I mean, let's face it, all the all the parents groups want the kids to be successful. Right. Uh, so it's it's really just encouraging. I mean, and, and you're learning lessons. I know this is a lot of this is cliche, but you know, you're if you learn how to overcome adversity at the age of 16, it's going to be very helpful uh, down the road. And you put a lot of work in, and you somehow win a game late in the season that you weren't supposed to. There's a lot of value in that. In some ways, it's as valuable as winning a big game as a favorite. So, I mean, there are there are lessons, there are values, there are rewards. Um, but it, and not everyone wants to stick with things, especially in this day and age. And it's unfortunate. And you know, high school sports is just such a wonderful thing for communities, uh, for the growth of the athletes. And I, I hope it continues long beyond me. Uh, but certainly, a lot of these, the fact that the participation is dropping in a lot of these sports is is a concern. And I don't know how you turn it around. I think COVID had a you know something right, to do with sure. that too. Exacerbated but, it, but for it sure. certainly you know isn't the only reason. You know, but you have kids that spend a year away from doing something and they realize, all right, I guess I don't miss it that much. I'll go do something else. Right. Um, so that that hasn't helped. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not talking about like, don't don't uh, go do dance. Don't, do, you know, right. schools. But no, we're talking just do, going home and do nothing. Right. Last kind of question on high school sports before we talk about our glorious Patriots. <laughs> um, I mentioned this before. Let's just say that uh, you're crowned king, emperor, whatever you want to say, of all MPA and athletic directors. So you get to control the schools as well. What are three things that you're doing tomorrow to to make main sports even better than it is? So the first thing I would do is I would go back to the way the basketball tournament used to be, uh, have the uh, big class tournament after all the uh, all the others, and spread it out and make it last even another week or so. And uh, that way we wouldn't have the double-A quarterfinals on campus, mm-hmm. uh, which in some case leads to a good atmosphere and good games. But for the most part, it's really not a tournament environment for the kids that are taking it. Mm-hmm. I'd go back to four classes, too. Yep. I think, you know, what, what's the point of making the playoffs if you're 0-18, 1-17? Right. There's just there's really really no value in that. Yeah. Um, I would uh, separate the baseball, softball, and lacrosse state games. are all the same weekend. The weekend before, all we have is the tennis states. Let's bump lacrosse into that slot. They play fewer games than baseball and softball anyway. Then you can have the baseball and softball teams uh, wrap up the uh, school year and the spring sports season. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the letting the students in for free. That's a big yeah. one. Um, I would not schedule any Saturday night games just because I'm selfish. And I like to have Saturday <laughs> Especially during football season. <laughs> you Friday, know? Friday night's fine. Yeah. Friday night's good. Yeah, Saturday yeah, yeah. afternoon. And I love like Saturday afternoon football in the fall and in Maine. It's those, those are, those are great times to have those kind of things. So yeah, I'm going to say one and have Zach, I'll have you do one. My one, and I mentioned this to you via text yeah. earlier, a hundred percent. And this is so about one sport. No overtime in freshman or JV basketball, <laughs> I, or really any sport. Yes. Like, I'm sorry. I know they're there to get experience, right. but my lord, it's already we're already lucky enough. These games run on time already. Yeah. It's a tight schedule, totally and especially great. now, honestly, like this is a different thing now that all these schools are using huddle, um, huddle, um, right. uh, focus, right, to do their games, which is a great thing. One of the, our, you know, my nervousness about it is unless someone is watching it all the time, and most ads are not; they're setting it and forgetting it, which I get that. But these are they're overrunning, and then you're tuning into a, a JV game, and it's half of the freshman game. Or I mean, there was a game early this year at Bon Eagle. The freshman game went to double overtime. Our varsity game didn't start till eight thirty or something at night. It screws up all the huddle stuff. So I say, I'm sorry. 
you know, and I also I would also limit their timeouts as well. I'm sorry, like one timeout per half for freshman JV. There's nothing worse than a an eight point JV game and everyone's calling timeouts after every bucket to try to set up defense. I, hear you. I get it's a learning curve. I get it, but let's keep it moving. Zach, do you have one that if you were king for a day? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's we we talked about. And I think we all agree on this, but I would have uh, more double A games in the expo. I think it's a better atmosphere yeah. than the cross insurance arena, which I, I work for the Mariners. It's a, it's like, uh, it, you know, it feels like home to me. I love that arena, but the expo is just better for basketball. It's just, it's, and especially because it's class double a, where you get a lot of fans, you get a lot of people in and you get these really big matchups. I feel like they're almost like wasting away an opportunity to really like show how big main basketball can really be in the playoffs. And, and I know that like scheduling wise, they'd have to do a whole change for that, but I feel like that's a really, that's something they could actually do. Like if they actually sure. wanted to, they could get double a there. Um, and, and yeah, so that's a whole but, month off between the, the, it's not like the fall where there's no time between the end of the football season and basketball season. Mm-hmm. You have a month to play with basically. So they could definitely, definitely push that. So I think yeah. that's a good one there. For sure. Um, we have a couple more minutes with you here and I just want to talk about the Patriots, uh, your diehard Patriots fan. Um, I, I'm not going to, we're not going to rehash last year cause we're behind it. Um, if you're, um, you know, Elliot Wolf, you're, you know, Caleb Williams goes number one. Drake May goes number two. What are you doing with the number three overall pick? Oh, it's so tough. <laughs> I keep going back and forth on this because I don't feel like any of these guys are just, you know, slam dunk. I, I do like Jaden Daniels of, of he or May. I, I think I would I would opt for him. But also, I mean, passing up on a once-in-a-generation sure thing wide receiver like Harrison, <laughs> I just, boy, I mean, it, it's I guess it's a good problem to have. I mean, you've got. You've got a couple tough choices there. You just if you you got to hit on a quarterback if you're going to pick a quarterback, and I and I feel like they probably do need to go in that direction. But I don't, I just don't know. I, mean, I don't watch right. a lot of college football, so I don't right. feel as as confident as some people that you know. I I saw Caleb Williams play a couple times. I I really wasn't that impressed with him. And right. you hear some things about off the field with him, and it doesn't sound like he'll be in play for the Patriots anyway. But I don't know. It's I mean, hard. I, because... I, yeah, I mean, you probably go quarterback, but I, I, I mean, I could make a strong case. Daniels right now is like the odds-on favorite if I you look so. at the draft. Yeah. Well, I didn't watch too much college football, but I mean, he won the Heisman, obviously, yeah. but he did not play well against the great teams, and he's just a small guy. That's like he's not small concern. like Kyler Murray, no? but he's thin, right? right? So yeah, you can you can bulk up. The problem is again when you look at all these guys, you just don't know how they're going to translate. You look at Drake May; he didn't look that great at times, but again, no. he's playing with. Not great, you know. Sure. He's playing in North Carolina, not the greatest players. Mm-hmm. What, what general off season? I mean, what, what are you thinking about Gerard Mayo? Um, not so much the coach. And my big sticking point isn't that they picked Gerard Mayo; it's that they didn't even interview I, anybody I else. I this agree. is a hundred percent on craft. If it does yeah. not work out, right. he should be ashamed because he didn't even look at anybody else. So, what are your thoughts on the coaching staff, Gerard Mayo? You know, not so much Bill leaving, but who they picked to replace him. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope, I hope, hope that Gerard Mayo turns into a great coach, and I hope that. Kraft was ahead of the curve and he saw something and he turned out turned out he was right just like he was when he brought Belichick in all these years ago you just don't know I mean he's he's a great motivator uh you know I think he's gonna be much uh, he's gonna have he's gonna make for better press conferences for, for what, sure for what that's <laughs> worth but we just don't know right and you know a lot of these coaching hires have kind of been underwhelming and again maybe these are the right guys we just we just don't know I mean, it, this is going to be a couple three-year process probably right you know yeah. they're, they're probably not a playoff team next year although if the texans could have done it last year i always say if the pats can get the right quarterback why can't they go nine and eight next year and maybe make a playoff run but yeah. realistically there's so many holes to fill on offense i mean the defense is is, is in pretty good shape but you know, you've got it. You've, the receiving core, not just getting a, a, a number one. Right. I mean, they really need several receivers. The line has so many holes. Uh, and then you, you've got to hit on the quarterback. And that's just not something you're going to do in one draft and one free agency cycle. Right. So, I mean, you, they, they've 
they've missed on a lot of draft picks over the years. They they can't afford to miss on any right now. They've got to hit, and they've got to hit on these free agent signings, whatever they do. I don't think it'll be like a couple of years ago where they were throwing $200 million out there. Right. And a lot of that money wasn't good money either. So Ticket it, prices went up a uh, couple yeah. percent too, which <laughs> is absurd. Really, I just got, the, I just got the, the document. I got to pay. And it's like, oh, by the way, I have to pay in five days, but it's another wow. you know, $500 a, a season. So, yeah. Zach, any final questions here as we wrap up? Yeah, so just just one more quick thought. I don't. I, I saw this today. I don't know if you have you seen the ratings from the end of the year player surveys that the Patriots had. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, flat. so not they good. got so for those for those who don't know, they were 29th overall out of all NFL teams. But the biggest one, the players ranked the treatment of families an F minus. I just want to see your thoughts on the F minus, which like at that point they're they're just trying to throw wood to the fire there, just to show like how bad they are about that. Well, and it's funny because, I mean, the crafts, they come across as this big family friendly. I mean, it's a family business where, I mean, how hard is it to have a decent room to take care of kids and have a decent food spread or, you know, I don't know what all that entails, but I mean, that's, that's obviously you've got a lot of players who are really upset about this and they're letting it be known. Uh, It's a billion dollar industry. You're raking in so much money. Just, just treat the, the players and their families and their kids you don't even have to spend that much money to do it, I don't think. So hopefully it's an eye-opener because it's a, it's, a, it's a big black eye for the team, honestly. And something mm-hmm. and really uh, you wouldn't think had anything to do with Bill either, right? That's a right. that's a Bob Kraft thing, a lot of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Last question here is, is uh, and we appreciate your time today, yeah, is just to in, in general, um, you know, we talked a lot about media, changing the landscape of the media. What do you say to somebody like Zach, like uh, we have Cole Purvis here, a lot of guys um, – who want to go into sports media like the podcasting route is is obviously a, an attractive route it's a lot it's very hard to make money off it obviously um or trying to be an influencer on instagram but if you want to be a tv reporter a writer i mean try to lock, talk people off the ledge and why they should just be like you know it's just not even worth it anymore well i just i i disagree because i think there's still there's still an audience for it and good writing good broadcasting good announcing i think you're always going to there's always going to be a home for something like that. I mean, the odds probably aren't great, and I don't even know if there are traditional journalism schools to speak of anymore. Uh, you know, most of it's gone uh, video in that direction, but there's always people are always going to want to write to read about this stuff, and they're always going to want to. Maybe maybe the media is not what it used to be, but the the desire for information in the sports world is insatiable. Right, and that stuff just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's got to come from people that that are talented, that are knowledgeable. And I feel like if you're passionate about something, and I would say this, whatever course of life, you you know, follow your heart, follow your passion, and uh, it, it, will, it will come across when you're trying to find a job. And it's just finding that niche, finding that thing that you do maybe better than other people or you know more about more than others. A lot of it's just treating people the right way and showing up. I mean, these are really basic things, but they are. They're important. They were important. 25 years ago when I was trying to figure this out, they're important now. They always will be. And, you know, I, I would always encourage someone, you know, to follow your heart and uh, follow your passion as long as you can. Awesome. Well, I appreciate yeah. your time, Michael Hoffer. We're going to have definitely you on as a recurring guest here, especially For as the sure. sports season ramp up. Yeah, thanks, uh, I appreciate guys. your thoughts on it, and uh, we'll, we'll catch us down the road. Awesome. I enjoyed doing it. and love to do it again. Awesome. We, again, want to thank Michael Hoffer for coming on.
great talk uh, as always, and and uh, we'll, you'll probably be seeing him back on here, uh, you know, throughout uh, uh, upcoming episodes, which is which is great to we'll see. We'll call him a recurring guest. You know, he'll be back yeah. on from time to time. You know, mm-hmm. once the, once the winter sports season's over, he takes a, a very well deserved, pretty much a month off before the spring season starts. So, but we'll definitely have him on during the spring season to talk uh, talk about that and maybe the NFL drafts and see. Obviously, he's a big Patriots fan. <laughs> Yeah, uh, interesting Patriots draft. Uh, yeah, we'll talk. We have a long time to talk about that. Don't worry. <laughs> of course, of course. So uh, to finish up this first episode, uh, coming to close very quickly, we have another segment, another interesting segment um, that Jeff, you came up with, which I, I thought was a great idea. And it is very simply called Take of the Week that has nothing to do with sports. So Jeff and I are both going to give a take that has nothing to do with sports. I don't know if I'd say hot take. I think, I mean, it might Mine's be a hot, hot take. take. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but Jeff, why don't you go first, and then, and then we'll, we'll we'll dive into your into your take. Yeah, so I recently went to Florida for a week um, for vacation. We had school vacation here last week, and um, I also flew on a plane. Very, you know, flying on a plane and being in an airport is really you find a lot about find out a lot about humanity, um, how people react to stress <laughs> situations, how good they are at preparing. Um, going to Florida is very challenging. There's always a lot of Mm -hmm. um, elderly folks, uh, people who don't fly very often. So you're already dealing with that in terms of getting on the plane, getting off the plane. There's so many things outside of our control about waiting on the tarmac and all those other things that we can't control. But as people, as passengers, we can control some things. Yes. And my hot take is there's a, I'm I'm hot taking a hot take. There's a hot take out there that like uh, a lot of memes on, on X and Instagram. Oh, Good job, guy who stood up as soon as the plane got to the gate. Only another 10 minutes before he get off. Idiot, right? Which I understand. I'm usually an ILC guy. I'm a tall guy. I'm like 6'1". I'm almost always an ILC guy. So mm-hmm. am I a stand-up-upper? Not really. If I'm in the front top, the, the top five rows or 10 rows, or if I have a very quick connection, yeah, I'm going to jump up and grab my bag. If I'm near the middle or the – I'm usually near the middle. This one I was happened to be in the back because I booked the flight like a week before. So I was way back. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but standing up is not the worst thing you can do at it's the not. end of a flight. The yeah. worst thing you can do at the end of the flight is not be ready to get your crap and get off the plane, especially when you're in row 30. We've already sat there for 10 minutes. We're waiting on people. And even if you don't have a, a quick, you know, a turnaround, a um, you know, layover, but the people who are just like, oh, they, they're like, oh, it's our turn. Okay, let me get up. Okay, and then, then now I need to look for my bag. Even though I put this bag in there two hours before, not a day before, you forget which bin it's in. Okay, or maybe it's super heavy. And I'm not making fun of people who can't lift their bag, but like show a little hustle. Like we're yeah. all tired, especially for short flights. We want to get the heck out of here. So my hot take is standing up is totally fine. I have no problem standing up. I would rather have you stand up next to me, you know, early than, you know, I had a couple, one of the situations where we're all just kind of standing there and like there's two rows that some people were kind of like ha- half ready to get up. And then they just slowly like, oh, do you want to go? And I just like I just booked it. Now, I didn't have a bag in the overhead, but I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm not trying to be rude. But if you want to help people with their bags, fine. And if you're on the in, in the middle window seat, I'm sorry, you got to show a little extra hustle. I know you've been stuck in there for a while. You haven't been able to get out. But just because you're in the on the inside doesn't mean you should take a minute to get up. Look back at your seat. Oh, did I forget my iPod? Did I forget my what? No. Get up and get out of the yeah. plane. You know, that that is my hot take. Standing up, I'm totally fine with it. It means we all get off the plane a little bit faster. Some people mm-hmm. are just hopeless for the whole plane experience. And it, you just got to shake your head and say, get out of the aisle. Just get in there. But for me, it was landing and standing there and standing there after the 29 rows ahead of me have gone and still being like, why aren't you ready to go? Come yeah. on, man. 
figure it out. That's my hot take. Standing up, not as bad as people say. Yeah, it, it has. I agree. It has to be more organized. You know, it's always. I I think. Um, I think I I, I like almost one hundred percent agree. I I think. I definitely think getting up early is, is totally fine. I think if you're gonna if you're getting up early, like as the plane is coming in, with the intention of like I'm gonna walk to the front, maybe you right. need to rethink that. But standing yeah. up, I, I agree. And it's like it, it's it it's just like chain reaction where what you explain with like people not being ready a row in front of you, that happens at the front of the at the front. And everywhere. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Everybody. It's everywhere. They're not ready to go. Get ready. Let's get out of here. We've yeah. been stuck here for for hours. What are you thinking about? Especially Ugh. long flights. Especially long flights. It's it's yeah. You're right. It's it's baffling how some people are just like that. They're like, I'm just gonna sit and wait and, and and let's just see where this goes. And oh, when the person in front of me starts to walk, let me get up and let me look at. Yeah. I, I, it should I, be at I, least a five row. When when it, you're within five rows, it's go time. Get your stuff out of it. Make sure you're ready to go. Grab your yeah. bag and just jet for it. Like you can, you can put your jacket on when you get into the jet bridge. Let's go, baby. A hundred percent. Got. Yeah. Totally agree. It's it's frustrating. That's, um, it's. I just so gotta go first class, I guess, to be the front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but then let's be honest. Let's be really honest. Even with the extra room, even with people, you know, in right. the front there, it's probably still gonna happen. It's Absolutely. probably still gonna. People happen. are. Yep. It's bad. It's bad. What's your right, take? So, so mine. Um, I don't think. I think it's. I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's a very common take, but I'm I'm very adamant about this. So I had a recent experience. I'll talk about it. People should not be clapping after movies in a movie theater. I and honestly, this goes into airplanes too. It's it's it happens. People clap after, <laughs> which is even worse. I can't even yeah. go into that. But yeah, I went to go see the new Bob Marley movie. You know, even though I'm I'm at school, I had you know I went over the weekend, watched a movie, and somebody clapped afterwards. And I'm in a normal, just like, you know, local movie theater, whatever, you know, I think it's called, there's a Cinemax, which actually is more chain, but still. And I'm thinking to myself, like, who are you clapping for? Who are you clapping for? If you are not at a premiere where the directors are there, where the people who produce the movie are there, where the actors are there, clap. I told, I, and I, they do, they do clap after, after premieres because they're there because the people that made the movie, the great movie that you just watched are there. But like, I don't care if this is the most groundbreaking movie you've ever seen in your life. Don't clap. Think to yourself, that was awesome movie. Grab your stuff and walk out. I, I, people clapping is horrible. The worst I've ever heard, the ones where I like was actually furious was after Avengers Endgame a couple of years ago and the sequels of Star Wars. The whole theater's clapping. I'm like, oh, whoop de doo The Marvel series is over. It, it sucks. I, I'm a huge Marvel fan. It sucks that it was over. I don't need to clap. They're not there. Robert Downey Jr. is not in the front row. You know, th- these guys that made the movie are not sitting on the side. They're not watching it on you. Cl- no, just just walk out. Think to yourself, that was awesome. That was the best movie. Go write a review. Go write a review. Go on Rotten Tomatoes. Go on X. Go on Instagram. Say, that was the best movie I've ever seen. I, I don't care. The clapping, I don't know why it infuriates me so, but like it just, gosh, like I just, I, there's, there's, no, there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. So I, I, I tend to agree. I, I was like, if it's something you're not going to do at your home, why would you do it? Like I've never sat in my house watching a great movie and clapped by myself sitting in a room. So I don't mm-hmm. do that. There is something worse though than clapping at the end of the movie, clapping in the middle of a movie. 
like, oh, true, I true, true. so I didn't see Avengers Endgame in the theater, but I've seen so many videos of like when all the Avengers, you know, come out at the at the near the end to fight uh, the last battle. The, now, when the I was at home, like, and I'm not a huge Mar- Marvel guy, no. I was like, oh my gosh, and I was kind of like, but if if I'm at a theater and that happens, and you see like a 15 to 20 second people of yelling, screaming, cheering, whatever. I'd be so mad. I'd be like, be quiet. Like I've, I've been in theaters before where I'm trying to think, I can't think of an example where people have hollered out during a movie and it's just like, dude, this is not the time. Like just control not, yourself. So it's not about you. It's not about you. That that's the no. biggest thing. It's like, I, 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 that's the best point is like when all the, when all the Avengers come out, if that happened too, at the same time, like it's not about you. Like I, no. I want to hear, like I, I missed that line and maybe yeah. it was the best line of the movie because you thought oh i need to cheer right now for 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 whatever movie it is but right at least just... if you clap at the end of a plane ride which i agree is not great either at least you're like hey we we we're survived we just we just went into 40,000 feet going 580 miles an hour in a death tube and somehow yeah. we landed on the ground in one piece i would never do it i've only i've been i've seen it a couple times but only when it's like the weather's really bad and you know but when he's i i have a pilot friend and he's like most you know most of the the landings are the same no matter what and they don't really care about the clapping but it's just kind of like eh, I feel again on the airplane you try to sometimes you find the lowest forms of humans and just see like what they really are mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just clapping on a plane for me as long hey if they want to clap as long as that means they're getting up out of their seat to get their bags I'm good that, that that's the best point if you're clapping <laughs> as you're in the motion of standing, yeah I'm like all right grab it. all right good yeah, job yeah, man let's get let's go let's go let's wrap it up yeah that that's Classic. the best part but yeah no yeah. so um. I, I think we started off with our with our takes very well. I've I'm, I have got yeah. more in the bag. I've got so. Oh, many that's good. This is gonna be the easiest segment every week. Oh I got gosh. a lot of stuff. There's just so many things. It's really just gonna be you and me just ranting about the stuff that we just hate to see and and, yeah. and whatever whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for the first episode of the main rundown. Uh, I had a great time, and as always, you know, it's we're gonna be hopefully uploading uh, once a week, maybe a little bit more. You know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But uh, I don't know about you, Jeff. I'm really excited to keep this going and get some great guests on. Um, it's 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 gonna be a fun ride, and we got we have a lot to talk about. You know, even though we're in that like I feel like we're in that that part of the year where. Winter sports, professional sports are starting to end. You get oh, really only the baseball. I think we got a lot of to talk about um, and a lot of great topics. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it is. And I just one last thing. I, I, we didn't really talk about the top of the show, but the, the where the, the name of the show came from, actually, it's a, it's a kind of a second time around for the main rundown. So when I worked at WPXT uh, and WPME up in Westbrook shortly after college, um, we had a high school sports show, a weekly show called The Main Rundown with my buddy Chris Sedanka, who we're definitely going to have on as a guest at some point. He works at WBLM now. Um, and also um, Sarah Parlin, who was a, who was a, 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 we produced a show and hosted it. We did about 130 unique episodes. Uh, so that was really cool. 130. 130. Yeah, a lot. So I did, I was a producer host a little everything it got to get me got me into the business and got me to learn how to do video editing and everything else. So great time there. So that's where the namesake comes from. The main rundown was a was Maine's official high school sports show. Uh, but now, you know, it's been defunct for about 10 years now. So I think uh, yeah. we'll take the name here for the for the podcast. But yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed it. And we'll certainly, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get Zach a new camera eventually to, to step it up. But otherwise, yeah. uh, yeah, we'll, that, that's uh, the one. That's what we're gonna need at some point. Yeah. Is, is otherwise, we got, uh, the mic, we got the mics. Your camera's phenomenal. Mine just needs yeah. a little bit of bumping up. Yeah, yeah, um, awesome. But well, yeah, we'll see you next week. Yeah, you can find the main rundown on all your favorite podcast platforms as well as YouTube. The video will be up, uh, and also ho- hopefully be posting. You know, some some content, some you know best moments from from episodes, just funny moments, whatever we can find. We want to push that out there. You can follow uh, the main rundown on uh, Twitter or X, I should call it. I'm so used to let's call it Twitter. X. 
it's, it's X. called X, X, uh, <laughs> and Instagram and YouTube on uh, Main Rundown Pod. But again, thank you all for listening. For Jeff Christian, Barry, I'm Zach Tarenka. We will see you all next week.